Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samba Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. How's it going, Matthew? It's a sunny Sunday morning. I'm just installing Sunset Overdrive onto my Steam Deck um, to continue <laughs> my life pursuing that sort of like hobby. Um, what? How's your morning been so far? Uh, I've just been looking at scans of 90s games magazines. <laughs> so, um, you know, just as everyone dreams of doing on a Sunday morning. Yeah, it's good. I watched Prey last night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, is like the one good movie that's coming out, that's come out on streaming services seemingly ever, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah, it's a shame it's not in the cinemas. It's, uh, you know, fills the screen with good action, looks like a proper film, doesn't have that weird veneer of streaming movie that, well, certainly a lot of the Netflix things have. Yeah, like legitimately good, you know, definitely the second best Predator film. Yeah, I mean, not hard, obviously. No, that isn't much of an endorsement. (laughs) (laughs) You're not a big um, Predator 2 guy with uh, sweaty Danny Glover and Gary Busey um, wearing a bandana. That's not... Okay, yeah, fair. That's... uh, And uh, the last one, The Predator. Oh, Oh, it was was diabolical. Absolutely awful. Yeah, I was like... I thought that combination seemed like it should work. Shane Black and... And yeah, Pred- isn't it, Shane Black it, literally a, one of the stars of the original Predator yes, as well? Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like it had been really like chopped and changed. There's this whole strand through it where they keep talking about there's like a weapon that will kill the Predator that's in this kind of coffin-shaped box, and you spend the whole film going, well, this is obviously going to be Arnie. Right. Like, Arnie is going to come out of this box, and that was definitely what they had intended for it. <laughs> And but obviously Arnie couldn't do it, or there was some rights thing or whatever. And they open it up, and it's just—I think it's just a suit of armor or a gun. It's just yeah. awful. It's such a oh terror. One of the worst reveals ever in a film <laughs> is is what's in the box in the Predator. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of uh, Dan Trachtenberg's Cloverfield film, where it's just oh, um, okay. escalating uh, sort of like John Goodman uh, sort of mania, essentially, which is what that film is, and then. At the end, there's some aliens. Maybe I just I found it just muddled and kind of boring. But um, uh, you know, uh, yeah. but his Black Mirror episode, um, I think he did the one with the video games. That was obviously really good. The White Russell one. So that dude's got he's some the choice. pilot for the boys as well. Oh really? Well, there you go. It's uh, yeah, obviously very accomplished. So um, yeah, I'm going to watch and, that. And the this. CG intro to Warframe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's you know. That's a beloved game. That's um, I think he made <laughs> yeah. it because he was a big fan. Probably a, a truckload of money taken to his house too. But you know, but, oh, he was a huge fan because I met him at Tenocon and we talked about it. And we interviewed him for it there, and oh, he cool. was like super, super into Warframe. And I had, I only had like a passing knowledge of Warframe and felt kind of schooled talking to him. But this, at that time, he was still directing the Uncharted film. Oh yeah, yeah. And the, the mad thing that. was, we we were actually on the same small flight out of the local airport because it was in Canada and um, yeah I ended up talking to him at the airport for like 40 minutes just casually just about like games and films and shit and uh, him and his producer friend were like sitting behind us on the plane talking about the Uncharted film oh shit and then obviously the (laughs) film they did make was diabolically bad so awful yeah, what a shame. Damn, that would have been a good... But then this never happens, does it? These, You know, you, you hear these dream lineups of um, adaptations of video games and it ends up being the worst possible combination of um Yeah, of I people. don't think any anyone could have made Mark Wahlberg work. And no. he was always, like, the constant with that film. I think he was always going to be involved in some capacity. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, great, great news for everyone. I'm sure he was very invested in playing the character of Victor Sullivan. I'm sure he was <laughs> really want to bring him to life. Um yeah, that uh, I'm not a fan of uh, Mark Wahlberg, I must say. But 
Um, I will watch Prey after this uh, after this podcast, Matthew. And this podcast is a mailbag combined with a quiz. I think our first quiz, Matthew? I think it is, right? We haven't done this before. Oh, well, if we're ignoring my amazing Xenoblade <laughs> crafting <laughs> ingredient or 90s drug <laughs> Yeah, that. plus actually uh, there was, um, I think it was the PS2 draft where I did that obscure PS2 games quiz for you. Um, oh, that, yeah, that's that was, right. That was yeah. quite fun too, and I think you got one of them correct out of the whole whole table. So, uh... will, will this quiz be the one to uh, raise a bigger reaction than just a shrug from our listeners? <laughs> we, we shall see. Yeah, because this is one that, as I was digging into the research for it, so it's the 90s Games Magazine quiz, and me and Matthew are essentially going to read out a quote from a review or a preview or something from the time, and the other person has to guess which game is being referred to in the uh, in the text. So... I am um, the, the the bits and pieces I've taken here actually only come from like three issues of two different magazines. So oh, okay. th- if this if this sticks, Matthew, we can, this could potentially run a run. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, mileage here, I think. So um, let's see how it goes. But um, yeah, so picking quotes out from '90s games mags and turning it into a fun quiz. How did you find this process, Matthew? Was it harder or easier than you thought it would be? Harder, actually. Like weirdly, if you go back to '90s mags. They're obviously like very like personality driven, but a lot of them, the actual game chat isn't particularly strong. Like, what's good about it is the characterful like banter and all the weirdness of the writers. But some of these reviews, I mean, there's a pit like early Games Master. If you ever go back to that, like these reviews can be like eighty percent just bullshit banter <laughs> from the writer, and then it's like, oh yeah, it's a platformer. It's got sixteen levels, and I thought the graphics were nice. And you're like, well, that doesn't really tell us anything. Yeah, it's it's kind of and it, but even in this period, you can see the shift from there's like a lot of that. Like early nineties is particularly kind of like a like a lot sort of, sort of sillier and off the wall. And then I think by the time you get to like late nineties, like N sixty four magazine, they strike the balance better. Like it's still very personality driven, but I think some of the the writing about the games is like a lot more on point. Mm. Um, so yeah, trying to kind of pick out things that kind of talked about games in an interesting way without giving up the game is kind of hard <laughs> well i've also like um i've got like a redacted when i mentioned the name of the game in one of the articles yeah yeah I've done so, that yeah, too, yeah. yeah so yeah it was harder than i thought it'd be it took me about an hour of research to put together which is not too bad but like it's um longer than i thought it would take just because it took me about five hours whoa what for 10 questions yeah, because I kept because I had stuff in mind, but I kept going to it and being like, "Oh, this is actually like it's not interesting as a quiz question, and the the review isn't as interesting as I remember because of this slightly le- like less colourful get games writing." Five hours is probably overstating it. I hope so. I was I was trying to mix it up a bit as well. well I was really worried because you normally, whenever we prep anything, <laughs> you always prep it so much better than me. So I kind of freaked out <laughs> and thought, oh, I've got to really find a great cross selection of stuff. That's just not true, though. Like I, I, I sometimes think you just overestimate the amount of effort I put into my plans for these episodes. Sometimes they're just written in 20 minutes. Like the episode... Oh, well, that... you're much more naturally... Um... Uh, cleverer than I am then. <laughs> uh, no, I just know what I like, Matthew, that's all. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's not all of them are, like, hilarious or anything. Uh, like, a few of them are. Oh, okay. But some of them are just, like, can you guess the game from the description and stuff like that. Um, some exist just to show how preposterously personality-driven 90s games mag writing was, um, as in you could waffle on, like you say, for <laughs> half the article before the in-joke <laughs> is over and the preview can begin. 
it feels it feels like the game mags would like swing harder the other way at a certain point. Like maybe by the time we were running mags, it felt like that in jokey stuff had taken a proper backseat. Particularly, I suppose, like after you move on from the sort of three sixty era, and there mm. are fewer mags, and I don't know, it just. Every, everything was about trying to be more accessible than speaking to the same people, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong with that. But um, it feels like yeah. the kind of capacity for in-jokes here is just infinite. Like, we will just l- allow it to take over an entire article if we if we wish. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not down on that. And this is the period that made me fall in love with games magazines. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's just... So, and, and also, some of... Um, some of it just hasn't aged well. <laughs> yeah, I've got one. Like, there's some pretty <laughs> raw stuff in Games Master <laughs> where you're like, oh man, we were obnoxious in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, it was not um, a progressive time uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways. There is one of mine where I sort of I debated not reading it out and cutting out entirely. I think it does fit the context of the game it discusses, but uses one word over and over again that is definitely offensive and so <laughs> i have to I hope it's like a horrible racial slur <laughs> no it's not quite as bad as that but it's like it's it's like it still makes me uncomfortable for sure um let's see what you think maybe we have to even cut it out of the episode matthew oh, and no okay, one will ever well. hear my uh my one but um i will say in praise of these mags first of all we're not saying who wrote these articles because I think that everyone who wrote them deserves the right to be forgotten because <laughs> no one thought an age of Twitter or podcast was even coming. Um, they were they were living in the time they were in, fired it into the abyss and thought, well, that's out. I'll just move on to the next one. And so I, I would hate it if someone did this quiz with my writing and put my name on it. So I'm not doing that with any of these. These are just like the quotes by themselves from the from the pieces. Um, I've named the, I've named the mags. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I've got the. I've only taken them from two mags actually, so it's pretty straightforward. Okay. Like it's um, play and PC gamer. I've taken them from. So. Oh, okay. Um, whereas you two, you're some N64 and Games Master, uh, I assume. N64, Games Master, and Edge. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. So, yeah, we got ten questions each here. Take it in turns, and then we'll total it up at the end. See who wins, and uh, you at home can play along. So, uh, I hope you enjoy this. Do you want to read out the first one, Matthew? Yeah, okay. So I will say I've edited some of these to remove like things which absolutely give the game away. Um, so that's a caveat. So first of all, the best game ever? Possibly. But then it's so far ahead of everything that comparisons seem meaningless. You have never played anything like this. And only when you do so will you understand just what all the fuss is about. So buy it. Play it. Revel in it. Dream in it. Rejoice at the luck of being born in the right time to experience it. Well, it sounds like it's got to be Crash Bandicoot, Matthew. Um, <laughs> um, I... It's Crash Bandicoot, 10 in edge. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's got to be either Mario 64 or Ocarina of Time. Like, that just seems like the right one to me. So I, I'll take a punt on Ocarina of Time. Ah, uh, a good guess, but it was Mario 64 from ah. N64. Fuck. Well, okay. Well, there you go. I didn't read N64 as much as you, so, yeah. Began the trend of, um, particularly in the N64, like, lineage, coming into that on Endgamer, there's this sense of, there are a few biggies that these reviews are kind of, like, legendary. Yeah. And if you get them, you're kind of, you know, you're not just reviewing Mario Galaxy, you're trying to write a Mario, a 3D Mario review that's as good as the, you know, Super Mario 64 review or the Mario Sunshine review. It was super high pressure. <laughs> yeah. What did, um, a complete side note, what did NGC give for Super Mario Sunshine? Did they rate it at the time? It was high. 
Okay. I think it, it must have been like 95 or something. Oh, there you go. Well, I thought people hated that one. So isn't that review considered No, a bit, people uh... loved it at the time. <laughs> okay, I'm just trolling, actually. I'm not even being um, insightful here. So let's move on to my first one. <laughs> um, okay, so w- what's the game? I feel sick. Right down in the pit of my burning, nauseous stomach, I feel an urge to let loose a torrent of bile powerful enough to rip through even the sturdiest of lavatory pants. Um, you know redacted right that wholesome company responsible for redacted well they've gone and produced probably one of the sickest out and out violent games this journalist has ever witnessed so a lot of like pants shitting i mean every sort of like slightly scary game got the old soiling your pants jokes (laughs) (laughs) ever played resident evil and actually shit themselves (laughs) Like if you, you need help, if that happens. <laughs> yeah, is that your guess, Resident Evil, Matthew? Uh unless it's sickeningly violent. Like it can't be comedy violence, you know. Like f- violence, I sort of think in this era, like Mortal Kombat and Carmageddon. But I don't. It's got to be more grody than that. Um, I, I feel sick right down in the pit of my burning, nauseous stomach. I feel oh, an uncontrollable like... urge to let loose a torrent of bile powerful enough to rip through <laughs> even the sturdiest of lavatory pants. The idea that it comes from someone who hadn't made something soft like this before. Hmm. Uh, oh, that is so difficult. Uh, I, I actually, I have no idea. I know, listen, I'm going to say Resident Evil. I know it isn't that because Capcom don't have this like cutesy, soft touch sort of uh, <laughs> appeal. What, what were we talking about? Uh, it is Resident Evil. I think the writer. Oh, I think the writer's just way off on Capcom and <laughs> this game generally. <laughs> That's such a bad call. Like Capcom have not got a soft. Like Street Fighter is not soft, right? By the nineties no. comparison. So I don't. Yeah, it's a poor comparison. I, unless but. like some of their like cartoony, like dis like they did those Disney ports. Uh, I mean, they maybe did, people but they are thinking about like they Mega made Mega Man. Like, like, I don't know. Yeah. I'd still say it's like core gaming. Yeah, I don't really get that one. Um, what, but I did... what a dumb, what a dummy! <laughs> <laughs> but I did see. It. Basically, my brain scanned all of these PDFs and then saw lavatory prints, and then it was like <laughs> Deckard zooming in in Blade Runner, just like zoom in closer, 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 and then this was the quote I took out. So um, yeah, so all right, one nil to you, Matthew. What's your okay. second one? This is the closest the Saturn has come to reproducing the magic that is Super Mario 64, and that's the last we'll say of it. Except, of course, that this one has buns. Uh, I mean guns. Oh, jeez. Mario 64 with guns on the Saturn? Was that a thing that happened? Except this one has buns. Uh, I mean guns. God, I have no idea. Except... Because you said Mario 64, I thought, well, Knights is the only real notable platformer on there, but it's not a 3D platformer. Well, you know, it looks 3D, but it's 2D. Um, I, can, I can give you... I can, I've got I've got multiple quotes from this review, so I can give you oh, some yeah, other yeah, ones, yeah, but yeah. They, do, they give it away quite quickly. Uh, yeah, have you got a... Sl- okay, what... Basically, let's say I'm spending one Professor Layton hint coin. What have you got for me? Sega might already have a mascot, perhaps the, but perhaps the prickly blue guy's days are numbered. Give me a mascot that can kickbox, shoot, perform gymnastic feats, as well as having a fit body any day. God, I just don't know that much about the Saturn. Huge game that you probably don't associate with the Saturn. Oh, is it Tomb Raider? (laughs) Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. People must have reviewed it first on... Did it come out on Saturn just before PlayStation? I think it did, yeah. Or at least around the same time. So, um, yeah, that's... uh... Okay, good. I'm pleased I was able to 
figured out from your your clues there. So okay, <laughs> that's good. This every line of this review had a reference to her being a babe. Oh god, like, yeah, it was so horny. The first, um, this is really funny, Matthew. You know how like last week we talked about how the unholiest of light is when um, you've got all your lights off except the <laughs> light from the monitor emanating. So yeah. When I was scrolling through some PDFs, I did find that fucking advert of Lara Croft lying on the beach topless. And like, that was the only light lighting up my flat. And I thought, this is the saddest shit ever that I'm doing this right now. (laughs) The sight of that image reflected in your eyes. (laughs) Yeah, it was a low point for my Saturday, I'll be honest. Um, All right. So the next one, this is not funny, by the way, this one. This is just like trying to guess the game from the context, I guess. Yeah. Ironically, it harks back to that first classic adventure in some of the ancient locations used with the ruined temples and the like, creating a spookier atmosphere than the rather too bright second game. Even even Antarctica is pretty chilling, brackets well obviously, thanks to some inspiration by John Carpenter's The Thing. Despite a host of subtle improvements, there are no dramatic alterations to the classic gameplay formula. Is this Tomb Raider 2? It's Tomb Raider 3, I'm afraid. Oh. The the rather too bright second game, that was the the hint that it was the third one. Oh, right, sorry. Oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Well, it's... (laughs) Well, that's... It's one all. The next line was, also, she's a babe. (laughs) (laughs) This actually... The review wasn't wasn't actually too bad for that, um, which I was surprised by. Maybe they just thought it was a bit tired by that point, but... um, Where was that from? uh, That was from Play Magazine. Um, yeah, Tomb Raider really like trailed off after two, I think, in terms of like enthusiasm. Yeah, they just they made were them just like seventy. They were like seventies games that and like Revelations and yeah. Chronicles, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. There was like is it four they did in total? That's a lot of games, and then it all crashes and burns with Angel of Darkness, of course, on PS2. So yeah, okay. Well, it's one all, Matthew, after two. So why don't you read out your third one? <laughs> This one might be a bit too difficult, I don't know. It's <laughs> right. a bit vague. Everyone's always claiming that their game is the very first to offer this or that new feature. After a long while, the claims can evoke, can just evoke a long yawn. But no one, not even the Pope, can deny that <laughs> this is the best graphics you've ever seen in a console game. Oh, that is vague. I will say 1994. <laughs> Oh jeez, 1994. This is before I really understand games and and come online and essentially understand them in any meaningful way. 1994. And it comes so to Games Master. This is Games Master. Yeah, well, I, I basically picked this out because this was someone having their mind blown by, I will say, a SNES game of okay. like I've never seen anything like this, and they re- like the whole review is gushing like this. Super Mario World a bit earlier than that. Also, that does that game doesn't look that amazing. God, I'm going to take a punt on Super Metroid. It's Donkey Kong Country. Oh right. Oh that. Well, that does make sense, I suppose, because of the, the yeah. One of the captions. This is how like deranged and horny Games Master was. One of the captions has got a picture of the female monkey character right. Candy Kong, and it says, "This is Candy Kong," and I'm embarrassed to admit that yes, she is fit. <laughs> God, Jesus <laughs> Christ! Just this is a horny man. He's like homina, 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 like anything. <laughs> I'm sort of, I like, I, 
you know, there are some things from 90s games packs I love, but the horniness, I'm so fucking glad it's gone because it was really cringe. Um, it's just it's just Diddy Kong with boobs. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like really not sexy. Yeah. How like how lonely were you at the time to find this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh dear. Um maybe the guy's wife had just left him or something, I don't know. But um okay. Yeah, Donkey Kong Country, it's one of those things as well. I, I think people liked those visuals at the time, but over time people have kind of sort of push back on them a bit because they don't it may be like nice sprite art holds up slightly better than that whatever they did the oh, 3d yeah. models on the 2d background thing okay still that's uh that was uh <laughs> it was worth it for the extra note there matthew okay <laughs> a redacted game wouldn't be a redacted game without his repertoire of gags and celebrity impressions so this game has them crammed to bursting point there will be a over 1,000 of them, so prepare to laugh yourself silly, or not, as the case may be. This lovable lizard keeps getting better. Oh, this is Gex. Yes, but can you name the Gex? Uh, oh, they all had, like, they were all, like, riffs on film titles. Mm. Was it, like, something like Gex, like, Enter the Lizard? It wasn't that one. I'm going to give you the point anyway, because, you know, you got Gex. But um, it was Deep Cover Gecko, actually. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, so, yeah, very good. We wrote... Man, someone really liked Gex. Oh, God. I, I, I can't wait to read you the next one, because it's so shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's your, your fourth one? In blandly comparative terms, this is fundamentally a first-person shooter, an offshoot of the seminal quake and its adopt-an-engine scheme. But whereas in, whereas in recent times it has been content to push the technology benchmark, these developers have concentrated on bench-pressing the gameplay. In doing so, it has chased away the reek of stale genre with innovation and a sense of pure drama. Oh, jeez. Is this a game I like? Yeah. God, it wouldn't be Jedi Knight, would it? Nope. Uh, okay. Um... Uh, it wouldn't be like one of the Hexen games, like Heretic or something. This is a big, this is Edge calling it a kind of a big step forward for the genre. Oh, it's not Goldeneye. No. Oh, it's not Half-Life. Yeah, Half-Life. Oh, okay, well, there you go. Um, I don't get a point <laughs> for that one because it's my third attempt. But uh, um, okay, good, it's, yeah. That makes sense. It, it, yeah, interesting going back to see Edge reviews for like seminal titles to see if they like identified it as such you know yeah of course because when you look back yourself you don't well i suppose it depends on your level of expertise but i don't necessarily contextualize half-life versus quake do you know what i mean i kind of see it as yeah. a completely separate track but i suppose at the time you would wouldn't you so um yeah 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 that makes sense oh very good um okay this one is just a the caveat here that it is very embarrassing um so <laughs> number four you want cars with tyres so gripped they could have been sponsored by Superglue? Or how about insanely quick, big-wheeled racers with low-slung low suspension and high G-forces enabling them to hug tunnel walls and ceilings? Do you want something more robust? A sporty model that's made to last? Oh, suits you, sir. Step inside <laughs> and see our full range of indestructible cars. Do you have a lady friend, sir? Does she go like the clappers? Like one of our latest models that flips upside down and just keeps wanting more? That's the <laughs> first paragraph to a very interminable review. <laughs> oh, a car game where you can drive on like walls and it's got monster car. What the hell is this? I think this one's quite easy, actually. Oh, my God. The only thing I can think of is that kind of cartoony destruction PlayStation racing game, but I can't remember what the fuck it's called. Twisted Metal? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Stop that. Oh, okay. They made a spiritual successor to it about three or four years ago. Burnout? 
No, no, I'll tell you. It's a roll cage. Oh, okay. I don't know if you, was that an N64 roll cage? I don't know if that ever made uh, it across. I'm not too familiar with it. Yeah, it's kind of like very wipeouty, but you can oh. sort of go on the ceilings and stuff. Uh, opening a review with an extended far show riff. Oh, God, yeah. That is, that is powerfully 90s. <laughs> They're really embarrassing as well. Like, I, I think just as someone who didn't have that love for the far show, I was just a bit like, I just. <laughs> At the time, people must have been like, oh, mate, you really nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ledge. Yeah, for sure. So when I saw that, I was like, yeah, this has to go in because it's the most 90s thing I've ever seen. Uh, What's your fifth one, Matthew? The developer keeps bleating on about pumping realism into a genre gone stale, but it's ended up with a backward-looking virtual reality environment that plays like a stroll in the country. Then there's the extended disembodied arm. It's almost worth buying the game solely for the purpose of having a good old chuckle at it. Well, I think this might be Trespasser, Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did I did really hope that's what it was in the first line. Uh, <laughs> Bingo. Oh, fantastic. 54% in Games Master. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Um, the, a draft-winning uh, classic there. Um Okay, this one might be too hard, actually, but um, uh, I did think it summed up the time period quite well. The ultimate beastie boy is back in the house and ready to moonwalk all over the ass of any unscrupulous foes stupid enough to gatecrash his party. <laughs> ultimate beastie boy. Well, that makes it sound like he's going to be a... It's going to be some kind of monster. <laughs> like a werewolf, I <laughs> guess. Uh, kind, of, kind of along the right lines, sort of. Ultimate beastie boy. It's more obvious than you think it is. Is this a Crash Bandicoot? Yes, it's Crash, <laughs> Crash Three Warped. That's the uh, that was the strap line. Um, I did wonder if you get it from Ultimate Beastie Boys. So yeah, uh, very good. He had so much nineties tood. <laughs> yeah, he did. This was the first uh, Crash game that played uh, Dane to uh, give the Play Classic Award, Matthew. And I was there thinking, what else were people playing on PlayStation before this, if not Crash Bandicoot One and Two? But uh, hey ho. Um, so what's your fifth one shh if you don't make a sound maybe the skinless baby will go away then again pop that little mutant full of lead you'll often end up with the things chewing at your knees as if they were burgers what the fuck is that uh skinless baby (laughs) is this a game I've played yeah skinless baby a baby with no skin night I mean, that's how they've described this nightmare creature. Oh, it's not... Um, they're not talking about Andros Trueform in Star Fox Lilac Wars, are they? <laughs> no. Okay. Because that would be a weird description for a, a, <laughs> no, a monkey is... brain or whatever it is. Give me a clue. I'll have a clue. PlayStation Horror. Okay. Skinless Baby. Oh, it's not um, Resident Evil 3. More abstract monster design than that. Silent Hill? Yeah. Okay, right. First Silent Hill I'm not as familiar with, so... Um, no, so spoiler same here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's fine. Um, meat, yeah, I just it continues the trend of, like, meat monster, you know. Meat monster, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, you're definitely well ahead here, Matthew. I've stopped, I've lost count, actually, but you're definitely ahead, so... Uh... Oh, some of mine are really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> are, we reg- are we having the old... Regretting the the bit in the middle of the bit on the podcast. Oh no, my next one's like next to impossible. But I just the yeah. quote the quote and the score really made me laugh. Okay, yeah. So um, is uh, is the next one from me number six? 
It's time to open up a can of whoop-ass. He might not be quite be in Duke Nukem's league when it comes to drop-dead one-liners, but Bruce Willis, the follically challenged Hollywood action hero, is the ideal candidate to slip on a sweat-soaked digital vest and take on an army of bad guys. Well, this has to be Die Hard Trilogy. Incorrect. is Apocalypse, remember? By Activision. Oh, yeah. oh. That's, that's good. That's, that's, you know, I, was, it was, I did put that one in there to try and catch I you I walked out. right into that one. Yeah, I tried to catch you out there um, a little bit. So, what's your next one, Matthew? Oh, this this <laughs> one's super hard, and I've actually got eleven in case this one's bullshit. Oh, I've got a bullshit one too, so it's all good. <laughs> um, the gameplay is very much the same as before, but it looks a lot smoother and faster, and the courses are as packed with imagination as my sandwiches are with luncheon meat, which is a lot of imagination or luncheon meat, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> The game is uplifting, a joy. Just look at that score, which is 97%. That's as high as I've ever gone. Codemasters are giving me a lot of money for this. No, just kidding. I was. Don't look at me like that. Oh, dear. Okay, so Codemasters probably means it's like Tocker Racing or uh, Colin McRae. Am I in the right ballpark there? Early 90s. Oh, early 90s. This will, I, I've no idea what this is then. <laughs> This is uh, unbelievably Micro Machines 2. Oh, of course. Yeah, that makes more. That, that makes classic, sense. they got 97 in Games Master. 97%. I mean, the fun- those were good games, but they were like, you know, good for the time rather than. So, yeah. the funniest thing about this is in that same issue, Doom 2, which the review is like, this is, this is going to be like a seminal you know, vital game for this genre. Right. Gets a 96. <laughs> and it's clear that this prick has just scored Micro Machines one higher to try and, like, after him. <laughs> because there's, like, a second opinion where the guy's like, this is crazy, there's no way this is a 97. Like, I have no idea why we're giving this this score. Like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking hard to, like, protect your scoring system from being broken by assholes. That's, like, such a hard, <laughs> a hard thing to do as an editor. Um, Imagine joking now that you'd taken a bung for a high score. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, simpler times. For sure, yeah, yeah. Um, better times, quote unquote, no, <laughs> not really, um, not necessarily. Uh, okay, this one is also impossible. This one's more impossible than yours. This is actually bullshit, Matthew, but I had to okay, read it out see. because... Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you straight up, first of all, it's a late 90s military shooter on PC. Um, okay. Just to try and narrow it down for you. Um, yeah. Like Victorian girls in Jane Austen novels, games must, when they reach a suitable age, make their grand entrance into the world that is society. They dress up in all their 3DFX finery, pinch their cheeks rosy with the squeezing fingers of hard programming, and wear their tumbling locks of gameplay in wild ringlets in an attempt to impress the long-coated gentleman of the industry. De- Debutantes' appearances are often preempted by rumours of their beauty, but occasionally a member of one of the powerful families manages to do a Cinderella and steal the hearts of all present. Uh, that is the quote. I mean, this metaphor goes on for the entire preview. Um, oh, and it's my. like, it's, it is cringe, but it's actually, it's quite funny to read. Like, I can see why at the time it was like totally fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's very cringe now, of course. So... Any guesses, Matthew? I think this is too hard to guess off the back of that. Uh, it's probably too late, but I, uh, Project IGI? No, you're kind of in a similar ballpark. It was hidden and dangerous um, on PC. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, sorry about that. That was bullshit. Um, so, uh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, some of those, some of the previews for the front end of PC Gamer around this time were 
out there. Um, what's your <laughs> next one, Matthew? If you thought Resident Evil 2 was tense, you better book yourself in for heart treatment now because <laughs> this game makes the mighty Res seem like kid stuff. Um, then it describes some story stuff that gives it away. Combine that with the gas-filled corridors where you're racing against the clock to reach a safe zone, and it'll take more than those merry souls at Holby City to stitch your nerves back together. Well, this wouldn't be Silent Hill again, would it? That would make no sense. Um, mm, no. Gas-filled and a horror game. It's a tense game. Oh, okay. Tense game. I don't know if I even remember any games in the 90s that we had to run through the corridors of gas. I must admit, it's a set piece that didn't jump out at me when talking about this game. Okay. Um, the bit I cut, 100% did. It's not Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay, good, good. There you go. <laughs> I was getting quite proud of myself there for taking it. Yeah. It, it's it, fun going back, seeing someone's first encounter with this and seeing what they like hone in on and what they talk about, because there's no cliches at this point with Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, It's yeah. like really pure. I also like the fact they refer to Rezzy as Rez. <laughs> like, that no. is no one calls Rezzy Rez. <laughs> yeah, it's R E or it's Rezzy. It's not it's not Rez. Like yeah, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. It sounds like this person didn't know what they're talking about more generally, but um it's all good. Uh, this, well I won't say who it was. <laughs> yeah, protecting the innocent, Matthew. Well, not yeah. innocent, protecting the guilty, literally. Um Okay, my eighth one. Far away over the sun kissed undulating sea is a tiny island. Watch this space, says a grinning Peter Molyneux. The island emerges from the horizon, rapidly growing larger until it fills the screen. On a cliff lies a forest, complete with individual branches and a thousand shadows. We zoom over that, barely pausing to admire the tiny people scurrying on the outskirts before we sweep, sweep up a valley. At the far end, the river fades away and the hills blend into a plain. A village, complete with huts, temples, obelisks and a hundred little people, litters the plain. I mean, it sounds like black and white. Correct. Easy. Oh, right. Oh, it must have been a preview, right? Yeah, it's an e- yeah, because the game, I assume they... It wasn't like this when it came out, or it was quite different, or whatever, but I don't know. Um, I mean, that sounds like black and white. I was thinking more like I associate with that with noughties rather than 90s. So Yeah, yeah. Well, it was th- at this point, it was scheduled to come out in late 1999, but didn't it come out in oh, 2001? Right. 2001 in the end, I think. It was something like that, wasn't it? Um, so, yeah. Uh, but I kind of wanted to put that in there, because I think uh, a preview with Peter Molyneux showing off something really ambitious is quite a, quite a good time capsule. Um, I may have seen a advert for that issue of PC Gamer in in Gamesmaster because there was an advert for an issue <laughs> which just had Peter Molyneux dressed up as a wizard, <laughs> and it said like he's left Bullfrog. We reveal what Molyneux does next. Right, right. Um, yes, the court of public opinion did eventually turn, of course. But uh, <laughs> yes, um, okay. So, what's your ninth one, Matthew? As a piece of narrative, however, it lacks the focal character with the sheer charisma and presence of Final Fantasy VII Sephiroth. Similarly, its many revelations and plot twists are sometimes badly scripted. Having not been suitably manipulated and prepared, it's hard not to greet such Luke, I am your father moments with anything but indifference. Oh, it has to be Final Fantasy VIII. It has to be. Yeah, that's Final Fantasy VIII in Edge. That sounds like some bad... I mean, you know, with bad plot twists and, you know, Luke, I am your father <laughs> moments, it's got to be Final Fantasy VIII. That's, uh, I, yeah. There's a really big end to this review as well, which I'll read to you. Oh, continue um, Aesthetically astonishing, rarely less than compelling, and near peerless in its scope and execution, fans of the series will embrace this emphatically. Edge has long pondered the validity of the video gamer's art, and this is probably the strongest argument for the case to date. <laughs> what, even despite the 
Luke, I'm your father moments and bad writing, bad twist. Yeah. Um, what did I give it? A ten or a nine? Sorry, no, it must have been a nine. A nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Funny because I mean I love Final Fantasy VIII, but I'm quite surprised they were into it. Just because what I would later associate with Edge, I suppose. So uh, I think they gave Final Fantasy X a six, for example, which is right. You know, maybe that's because it was just, maybe that's because it was a certain era of Edge. You know, the early noughties yeah. era. But certainly don't. It just seemed like it was a bit too juvenile to impress them. Do you know what I mean, Final Fantasy VIII? So I'm kind of surprised yeah. it did. But, uh, there yeah. is actually something a little bit more wide-eyed about Edge in... The, it's certainly in the issues I was looking at for this, in mm. this 90s period. Like, you know, while they are strict with the old 10, they give a lot of 9s and 8s. You know, I'm not saying they're a softer man, but they're... You know, and, and maybe they're writing at a time where there's there's so much revolution happening in terms of design that it's like a this is just a big period for big edge scores yeah yeah besides final fantasy 8 was a nine i'd go to bat for that game any day that game fucking rules so, yeah, uh, yeah. They, the way they talk about there's a lot of stuff in that review about the like the divide between the, the you know gameplay and these amazing cutscenes that final fantasy had become famous for yeah and it was really sort of celebrating like gameplay sections that attempted to do more cinematic things <laughs> that would normally be consigned to a cutscene. Yeah, like when you'd have basically like a vibrating squall uh, like render pasted onto a CG background of like soldiers fighting in the background when like right. the gardens invaded. And it looks, when you look at it now, it, it does look a bit rough, but at the time, maybe that did seem mind-blowing because they were trying to blend those two things together. Um, yeah, they were talking yeah. about having a fight hanging from a rope. Yeah, that's right. That's the end of, um, I think, this too, a Galbadia garden and the two gardens go to war essentially and all those kids are fighting each other it's pretty it's, it's rad that bit it's really good oh um, well you oh that's what edge edge didn't say rad but they didn't like it. <laughs> that wouldn't be very edge that wouldn't be in the edge style guide would it um yeah that's a good little time capsule there matthew thank you for the extra context <laughs> right this is the one where i have to issue caveats there is a word in this one repeatedly that is <laughs> essentially like a doubles a homophobic slur i'm not endorsing any use of the word of course but i did want to quote it as um it's oh, got right, it's, okay. it's a word with two meanings, but the slur is mostly what it's known for now. So, with that right. caveat out of the way, I do think this was the best paragraph for you to guess what the game is. So, right. um, redacted is full of poncers, nonces too, and slags and filth, but mostly poncers, poncers who are by and large in need of a slap, poncers tooled up to nick some other poncers motor who've just blown up a couple of ponies on skirt and a monkey on Billy. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like English gangstery stuff. Mm-hmm. Is GTA London? Yes, correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think we can keep that in. I think it's fine. Like, I, I know the word is. Like, obviously, I would never use the word, but like it's. Oh yeah, I thought I th- I thought I thought it was going to be something. Mu- not saying that it's nice. Yeah, but I thought yeah. it was going to be something like sh- much more shocking and harder than that. <laughs> yeah, I just I thought it was worth keeping because I just thought it's proper like. Um, shout on a turtle, Austin Powers. <laughs> oh, that. And that is, I mean, that is what Londoners are like. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, uh, Matthew, is that like I forgot just how many fucking Austin Powers references were everywhere in like the late nineties. So <laughs> going through these mags, the amount of like, do I make you horny, baby? Groovy, but like all that <laughs> shit. And like obviously, when you're talking about GTA London, those references are going to come up because. <laughs> The game came out around the same time that that was happening, and you know it was inevitable. It had the fucking Austin Powers car in it, GTA London. So, yeah, um, I'm glad you were able to get that. A monkey on Billy? What the fuck does that mean? Like that's like, <laughs> yeah, that's incomprehensible. But um, 
we come to your final one, right, Matthew? Well, you've got a spare one too, but go ahead. The only blots on an otherwise flawless landscape are the occasionally ponderous bouts of text which resonate with saccharine-rich Americanism that sometimes impose an undesirable element of linearity on the open structure. So an open game, American sort of like setting slash vibes, um, but forced into linear something or other. That's fucking hard. It's not something like Interstate, one of those games, is it? No, no this, it is be. A, a this is a biggie. Is it a game I like? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. It's a game you've already mentioned. Well, on this podcast? This episode? <laughs> yeah. I've got no idea, Matthew. This is the single criticism from Edge's Ocarina of Time review. That's so baffling as a to understand what the game is from that. That's just completely... The Americanism <laughs> thing's completely confused me. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> That's a very British perspective, that is, because did that ever rankle with you when you played Ocarina of Time? I feel like I never noticed that. It well, felt like someone scrabbling for a criticism. <laughs> yeah, uh, such as it is. Right, my last one, Matthew. There's not much to go on here, but I will give you the score to give you an extra clue. Um, shamefully appalling non-game. Novelty odium with guns. I became sick to the soul and gave up. 8%. <laughs> What the fuck is this? I'm going to give you a clue, because I think this is hard. It's a game I have joked about being remastered at least once on this podcast. <laughs> that may not narrow it down, actually. Does that mean it's a PlayStation game? It's multi-format, but pro- probably part. primarily known for PC and N64. Yeah, I mean, this that has the that has like a PC review sound. Yeah, it's a PC game. Um, South Park? Correct! <laughs> <laughs> 8% seems harsh. It's a bad game, but it wasn't that eight. bad. Yeah, 8 is really harsh, isn't it? I think that I think that was like positively reviewed in N64. It was an, another Acclaim game, right? So was it like made in the Turok engine, I yeah, assume? Yeah, so... the, the Turok fog everywhere. And... Yeah, um, but it was like... Uh, the, the, um, the criticism they used actually was really interesting, which is they started with saying um do you know how many levels uh, sorry how many um enemies are in the first level of quake it's like it's 15 do you know how many <laughs> enemies are in the first level of south park 255 or something and like they were making the point that it was just not designed properly it was just stuff thrown together and like it's you know compared to the elegant shooter design of id it was just like complete crap in terms of level design so um huh. but you know this was a game made for um, ten-year-old boys to laugh at piss snowballs being lobbed at each other in split screen yeah. on the sixty-four. Well, that's so, you know. that's what was happening in Games Master. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my last one, Matthew. So, you got one bonus one there? Yeah, my bonus one. Not particularly funny, but I just p- picked out. Unlike previous games, it's clear that the dinosaurs, not the humans, are the stars of the show. The most prominent character is the fearsome T-Rex, taking the role of Mr. X from Resident Evil 2. This monster reappears throughout the game, raising the difficulty and adrenaline levels substantially. Well, this has to be Dino Crisis. It is. A glowing review from Edge. Well, Dino Crisis is legit. So um, I think just because Mikami said just make make it like Resident Evil, and they did. (laughs) Um, Mm. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, I think that was fun. Did you have fun? I enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly had, had fun going back through these issues and sort of wincing at stuff and... Oh, there's so many like anti-French jokes in Games Master. Yeah, there was anti-French jokes <laughs> in play too. Really odd. Yeah, <laughs> I, like there's like big Jeremy Clarkson energy, right? To a lot of this. Yeah, and this stuff was just thrown around a lot more. The humour was just a lot more coarse. The yeah. today seems 
so gentle and soft by comparison. Yeah, that's um, it. People have no idea. You just wouldn't do it anymore, you know? But also just, I don't get the impulse to do it either. Like, I've never, ever had a problem with the French. And, like, I think British people are far more odious and awful than any other citizens <laughs> of any country I've ever been to. Like, so, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Game Smarts' Tomb Raider review, half of it is about how attractive he finds Lara Croft. The other half is about how much he likes killing the human enemies because they're French. Jesus, this is just this is this is not good. No, no, that's not. <laughs> like I, I was uh, what, eight years ago at Future. I was very briefly involved with a, an, an idea for a project to kind of create a, like an online digital library of like every magazine, games magazine ever, right? Like that you'd subscribe to, like a Netflix. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, people would love going back to this stuff. That would be so good. But actually, when you flick through some of it now, you're like, there is no way you could put <laughs> this up in this day and age and not get absolutely destroyed for it. That is like one way in which I think probably edges through the test of time better because the mags didn't really have that that sort of attitude to them, that tone to them. So yeah, maybe no, I'm that's... wrong, but I don't think they did. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. It's the the other funny thing is is seeing pockets of what's relevant at any given time. Right, right. So like the frame of reference, like everyone keeps referring to like any sports game. There's a period in Games Master where there's loads of references or comparisons to like Brian Lara cricket. Right. And like <laughs> I'm not saying that's a bad game. Like it's a beloved game, but it's not talked about now. And just to see something that was so clearly like at the sort of forefront of people's minds then, but not now, is kind of funny. You're like, oh yeah, like we do have, you know. I imagine with Almax, we'll go back and be like, well, that game is just forgotten, but it seemed big, or it seemed like a touch, an important touchstone at the time. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, that is that is funny. Brian Lara Cricket. Yeah, it's like I always think I know quite a lot about late nineties games stuff then i kind of go back and i do feel like i oh actually i only really know half the story because i wasn't paying attention to any racing or sports games and those games were just so so massive at the time like yeah, even bigger right. forces than they are now so yeah but it, I, I enjoyed this anyway like by and large i was reading pc gamer i was just really impressed by the writing looking back on it um and play mm. play was a bit more vanilla bit bit blander but the occasional slight against the french aside it was um it was <laughs> fine it was probably the same writer it was probably like <laughs> it was probably the guy who worked for games master freelancing because that's how <laughs> that's how a lot of this works yeah for sure but uh yeah piece of game were excellent in the 90s i was really thinking oh yeah this is why i fell in love with it because they were just so committed to these funny jokes but they were more adult jokes than you would find in some of the other mags um they're just mm. a bit more of an adult sense of humor because they were oh. selling it to dads you know yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, t- the tonal shifts between the mags was so much like sort of starker back then. You yeah, know? like they were re- like it was such a big industry you could target completely different people rather than a, a lot of mags kind of as over the years definitely in my period was sort of like honing in on this is sort of the acceptable mag voice or yeah. the desired mag voice I guess. There's probably as much in common with PC gamer then and PC gamer now as there is between. PC Gamer then and Rock Paper Shotgun, what that would become, just because you mm. see more of the in jokey stuff, sort of that more emerges in Rock Paper Shotgun. You do get that on PC Gamer. Like, you know, obviously, there I was there when the whole uh, Bathtub Geralt meme happened, which then got appeared in the actual Witcher TV show. So big was that <laughs> meme. Like, we, we did have those in jokes, but um, when you have a website that's got like an American team who have no you know, no kind of real heritage of the UK version because they had their own mag. And, like, it's a massive website made for 
loads and you know general audience the tone just you cannot put that tone online and it, it work but you do you do miss it when you see it again do you know what i mean this yeah mm. um okay well enough pontificating that was fun matthew you won the quiz um i hope the listeners enjoyed that let, let us know what you think on social media or discord if you enjoyed that or not because we could actually do this again pretty easily well it would take matthew five hours but theoretically no i i know what i'm looking for now yeah yeah okay cool uh, that was good do you enjoy yourself matthew yeah i did yeah, yeah. All right, then. On to the questions, then, Matthew. Should we take a quick break and then come back with the questions? Yeah, yeah cool. Let's do it. Welcome back to the podcast. So, it's a mailbag. More of the listeners' questions to go through. People seem to enjoy these because they pull uh, the subjects in different directions and you get to hear us kind of like being a bit more off the cuff and relaxed rather than being like, you know, here's how the combat system works in Xenoblade Chronicles or something like that, which is, you know, very, very valuable podcast content. But it's nice to have mm. a, a bit of a mix. Isn't it? So it's um... They like it because it's all about them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Narcissists. Um, <laughs> so with that in mind, do you want to read out the first one, Matthew? I recently went back to an XCOM save game I started in September 2020. What's the longest you've paused a game then went back to? That's from Gildear44. So I think this for me would technically be dragon age inquisition because i started this in 2014 still have a save file that i go back to a noodle away at every now and then even though i remember almost nothing about the story <laughs> um and in fact, i've completely forgotten the story but the problem is i really love my main character in it and i'm worried that if i start again i'll have to abandon him and he i basically made like dragon age david bowie and i was very happy with that he's like blonde very handsome man i was you know i was like i was he had the voice that was kind of like appropriate i thought okay we'll spot on this character um <laughs> but to start again i would have to lose him and create a sort of slightly off-brand like little version but that counts i think because that is a save game from 2014 but the choices in that game they go all the way back to dragon age origins from like 2009 because obviously the, uh... the whole dragon age keep thing is that you import all of the choices you made from dragon age origins and two and then you kind of, you know, you, you preload that into Inquisition in order to get the optimal experience. So that, at this point, is a 13-year safe file, Matthew, technically. Um, so that's quite a good one. How about you? The start of 2021, I like replayed the Fable games. And because of Xbox One sharing the, you know, the ecosystem with the same ecosystem as the old xbox there is something magic about playing an old game now and it finds and downloads your save from like a decade ago i had my fable 2 hero from like 2009 kind of pop up and it was a finished save file like i start i started another one yeah just seeing my little bloke walk around and be like oh yeah i remember this guy um very tall and slender i was i i almost like uh stuck to using pistols in that game because that meant you didn't put on like muscle which was if you used physical attacks and you didn't get like magical runes on your body if if you for using magical attacks so i pretty much played exclusively with just a pistol so i could be really tall and skinny and not look all kind of magic and hench yeah um 
but my face was all fucked up because there's a um a bit in that game where one of the choices you can sort of save someone from this like demonic council or sacrifice yourself and if you sacrifice yourself you get all like aged and your eyes go all messed up and stuff so he bears this the physical scars of my kindness (laughs) yeah very good um, I, I just uh, on the Steam Deck episode mentioned uh, my Metal Gear Solid save from seven years ago. I just picked that up again. That was cool. And at Christmas, I went back to my parents' house, Matthew, and they still have my PS2 memory card from when I was a kid. So I um, I booted up uh, Silent Hill 2 and Final Fantasy 10. And my Final Fantasy 10 save, yeah, was literally from 2002. That's when it started. So wow. I still got that original save file, picked it up, had a few games of Blitzball, saved it. It's That's pretty cool. I love that the the memory cards like a living um sort of symbol of this stuff whereas i think all my 360 saves are trapped on the 360 maybe there probably is a way to get them off of there onto my xbox series x but um i can't be bothered you, well, didn't you didn't you like after a while xbox has started uploading these things to, to the cloud yeah they did but i don't maybe i just haven't done the literal process of getting on there and uploading them um all right like i might just have to do that and maybe i can just send my red dead redemption save forward in time that'd be good wouldn't it maybe i will yeah but that is that is kind of magic when you see a save from like you know 10 12 years ago without doing anything yeah that is cool yeah um my ps3 as well still has saves going back to like 2007 8 and stuff on it um you know your your final fantasy save on ps2 do all the characters have just their, their normal character <laughs> names, or did you give them goofy names? Can you even do that in Final Fantasy X? Oh, it's really funny you mentioned that. I was about to tell a story about a friend of mine. So um, I, I actually like did call uh, Tida Samuel, which is quite embarrassing. But um, <laughs> but the um, you can't actually name the other characters. You can't call like Waka right. Dave or whatever. Like it's not, <laughs> It doesn't do it because it's got voice acting. Um, but yeah. the whole thing is they never say Tidus name in it. They just say let's call him you or him. Like it's quite actually quite elegantly done, I think. Oh, okay. Um, but the uh, yeah, the uh, Samuel regrettably is the name of the Tidus in that save. I would never do that again. Um, that was a very teenage thing to do. Um, <laughs> but this is really funny, Matthew. It's my friend, my friend Andrew. I hope you won't mind me telling the story. Is that he has a Final Fantasy VII save from when he was like ten years old or nine years old, and all the characters are named after his junior school friends and so like i think like barrett is named like daniel because there was this kid called <laughs> daniel borley who he was friends with and like this i think tifa's called dorsia who's like another person he knows and like it's so funny because he can't he can't lose the save because the save is he beat all of the weapons in the game on it has knights of the round and like the gold chocobo like that was his save but he is forever haunted by these names of people he hasn't spoken to for like 20 years essentially and i find that so <laughs> so so funny also the idea I also that like the idea that you could experience a game with this other set of names that you don't even associate it <laughs> with their real names so like when they show final fantasy 7 remake <laughs> and barrett comes on you're like oh yes daniel <laughs> also the idea of like barrett the character of barrett being named after a weedy nerdy white guy is really funny to me like that's yeah, so his, every single <laughs> character he had in there was named after them. And I think he named, I, I assume he named Cloud Andrew, which is his name. So, or maybe Cloud, yeah. So it, that, the idea of that makes me laugh. Like you have to hold on to it because too much effort's gone into it at this point to give it up. Um, yeah. What about you? Have you got, have you got any examples of that, Matthew? Where you go back and you're like, oh, what was I thinking as a teenager or something? For some reason, and I, I don't really know the origins of this, <laughs> like all of my characters and games, they were all called Silvio. <laughs> Right. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, like, I thought that was just a really cool name for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Oh, dear. Okay, have you got any So, like, all my links are called Sylvia. <laughs> um. Oh. That's good. Silvio's Awakening. It's not a Sopranos thing either. I just don't know where it came from. Silvio. That's really, yeah. Very, that's really specific. Like, that's good stuff. It tells me a lot about what was going through your brain once upon a time. Um, okay, good. Well, they got, I think uh, Gildia 44 got way more value out of that than they could possibly have hoped for. So You never know with these questions. Sometimes they sound juicy as hell, and then it's just like Rivita dry. <laughs> and sometimes you're like, oh, this is going to stink. And it just uh, unlocks. Not that I thought that about that question. No. Uh, but it unlocks, uh, you know, who knows what. Yeah. Shout out to the guy who emailed in about fanzines, by the way. We don't know anything about fanzines, so we uh, we took your question out at the last minute. Apologies for that, but um, <laughs> we wish you the best. We wish you the best. I hope that helps. Um, okay, <laughs> next one. Hello, massive men. Samuel has often hinted at a wish to make a magazine called Millennial Retro Gamer, containing coverage of late nineties through to the early twenty tens. My question to you both: If this happened. Who would be your dream lineup, and what structural segments would make up said magazine? That's G Jones eighty six. Um, I don't want to do dream lineup because it's kind of like playing fantasy football with people I know. Just a bit too strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just decided it'd be me, Tony Ellis, the production editor on PC Gamer, formerly a giant budget and loads of freelancers. That's probably what I'd do. Um, <laughs> as for the sections, I don't know actually. Like maybe this exposes what a flawed magazine it is. I do like that Retro Gamer has a kind of a news section and it's kind of related to news 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 items related to retro gaming of which is obviously quite a lot that might be more of a strain Mm. with uh millennial retro gamer but you could definitely do their on this day and you know on this month in 2002 2003 2004 kind of thing um that would Would work uh, would you review things again with like hindsight that's not a bad idea like re-review but like by its own sort of scale essentially so it's like you have your own criteria that doesn't mean you're just going to give every game like a 40% or whatever. You're going to give them, you're going to give them like... Just really bum everyone out. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of like like a st- standard test of time review score. That would work, I think. Mm. Um, would do that. Uh, and then, yeah, it'd, it'd mostly just be features. The, the front end, I would have to figure out, honestly. That'd be tough. But the features would be a mix of like um, making ofs and uh, revisiting and, and do stuff like um, rip all the pixel art out of different games or like 3D models and stuff like that and do analysis of different maps and things like um mm. there's that awesome uh, awesome account vg cartographer on twitter probably ask that guy can i have the complete map of shadow moses <laughs> that will just do some kind of annotated thingy a thing or another i think what we're exposing is that i haven't thought about it that much any thoughts matthew one thing I, I i really liked about nintendo gamer i thought we did really well is it had this huge directory like the directory was like a considerable chunk of the end of the magazine and it covered like every platform but i really like the idea of a like a really thorough thing which covers lots of individual platforms which i think you'd need for this it would have to cover all the the consoles of the period but also something we had in nintendo game was the idea that it was like this evolving project and people could like write in and pitch things for us to add to the directory or take out of the directory Mm. so it was kind of like a what we felt at any given time you know in nintendo gamer the gimmick was and this shows how limited i am in my imagination uh, a games court where people had to write in and, and appeal to the judge from ace attorney who then decided whether or not he was going to add you know fucking plock or whatever into the <laughs> snes hall of fame but i kind of like the idea that idea of 
here's my favourite thing, I think it should go in. So it kind of reflected the kind of readership to the tune of two or three new games a month. But Yeah, uh, because yeah, directory pages, I think they're really great. Like, the first time you get them, fuck me, it's like, here's like a little bit of writing about a thousand games. It's crazy. But then they're like completely static and dead. So I like the idea of them like shifting or something happening that kind of like refreshes the directory every so often. Yeah, the Play Magazine used to have a playlist set at the back that was kind of similar. Like, um, and it was a real bummer the time I was working the mag when we had to, you had to we had to shrink down the PS2 one to like a hundred great games from the full catalogue, and the PS3 library, which was obviously nowhere near as good, had to take over instead, and it felt like a part oh. of the mag had been ruined <laughs> as a result of that. Yeah, um, but yeah, you do like that. That big list of scores is like a, a useful resource. I mean, you know. Just look at our own listeners, Matthew, trying to archive the stuff that we're talking about. People do like to, you know, yeah. have these opinions in one place. So um, I like like the one-liners as well. I like the, the the single line summary of the game, and sometimes it's just a joke, and sometimes it's like a legit defense, and yeah, I, that's that stuff's a lot of fun. He said in hindsight at the time, huge pain in the ass to write. Yeah. Um, on Endgamer, we made the problem of saying our directory was going to have every Wii game reviewed, which basically meant that every few months they had to completely physically redesign the directory to fit them all in. Right. Like, and uh, Paul Tysel, our uh, first editor on Endgamer, and then Andy McGregor, like, I swear to God, they must have spent half a week every month redesigning the directory just so we could cram in everything. Why did we do that? It was yeah, just so dumb. Just is... put a top 50 in. Who cares about the worst game on the week? No one cares. <laughs> yeah, that's we. Yeah, we did the same thing, and it just it would just meant. It, it, I think it it peaked at like twelve pages on play. I think like it was out of control. The number of PS2 games we, in there. We kept, we kept it in four pages. The entries kept getting physically smaller. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's what I meant about it was it was madness. Yeah. But, <laughs> ah, okay, well there you go. There's, um, I don't think, yeah, we, we've necessarily answered the question there, but we've certainly told you a bit more about making mags. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was that would be the bulk of it, really. Like a I'd have two to two to three making ofs each month. Um, I'd always try and get like at least one interview with a Japanese developer alongside kind of Western developers, um, just because I would like to have that as a kind of signature of the magazine. And you see stuff like archipel that youtube channel and think well i would love to just have an interview with the art director of final fantasy 12 or something do you know what i mean so um there would be yeah yeah kind of a, a mix of stuff like that um i'm not expecting anyone to fund it and yes i would have to give it a different name of the millennial retro gamer uh that was just a concept do you want to read the next one matthew hello giant gents have either of you ever got it super wrong with a preview featured something and bigged it up but it ended up as a limp noodle that's from sam there's got two examples here. There was a preview I did at Gamescom of something, like an FTL-style game called The Longest Journey Home or something like that. It was sort of like FTL, but had loads of systems on top of it. And uh, it did seem cool and sort of like like a mix between FTL and RimWorld, but it was really complicated and so, so hard that when it came out, I felt a bit bad for bigging it up because I played it and didn't really enjoy it. That was one. Um, the other one, Matthew, is I feel like I got Mafia 3 wrong, which is... I had no idea that game was going to be about 50 hours long with loads of different activities you would repeat over and over again. And I didn't realise the PC performance would be quite quite rough with that game. And so when I right. previewed it on this pretty amazing trip in New Orleans, and I came back and thought, you know what, that game, like, if they get it right, it's going to be like a GTA with immersive simi bits, because that's kind of what they were talking about. Like, there were different sort of tools you could use to lure out enemies and different ways to play. And I had this amazing kind of like 
music and the city did look amazing in it um absolutely yeah outrageous soundtrack but it came out and just to a thud really it wasn't a very well liked game um mm. i can't say i disagree so i think i got that wrong i could have been more pessimistic there how about you matthew i i i saw good previews of that like good demos where like the vertical slice of that game is amazing yeah yeah because it's like the setting the music they show you like one of the few scripted story missions maybe one of the little side tasks and then it had like a like a moral uh, sort of decision making consequence idea wasn't it we had didn't you have like advisors and if you sided with some the others could turn against you and stuff and if they kind of cut each of those things down to five minutes and cram them together in half an hour you're like oh this game's gonna be amazing but it didn't include the hours and hours of like drudgery in between yeah yeah that's 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 it like that's the thing is there's an art to making a great preview build the the one that really jumped out for me for this which i was like really wide of the mark on but also i actually i didn't write a preview but i was a big cheerleader for this after seeing a demo um at 2007 at the Leipzig Game Convention, so this is pre-Gamescom in Cologne, I was absolutely blown away by the Alone in the Dark demo, the 360 PS3 Alone in the Dark, because it looked like it was going to be this incredible sort of survival horror immersive sim. That was the game where your inventory, you famously opened your coat and looked down, and then you could like combine all these different bits of equipment. So you could make all these, not procedurally feeling, but like you could have a glow stick and hold it and that would just light up the room. But you also had sellotapes. You could cover the glow stick and sellotape and then stick it to the roof and stuff. And in a demo, that stuff seemed obviously so like in-world and cool. It felt very sort of cinematic. Um, A little bit, I guess, like uh, this was around a similar time. You had the kind of darkness that was treading that interesting kind of slightly immersive simmy feeling looking kind of thing. I was just really up for it. And then it was absolute shit. I have no idea. Like they must have showed us the few minutes of it where it looked amazing. I have no idea what happened there. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's that way. That game was like I felt like there was mega bucks behind that game and they were hyping it big time and it did like it was on every cover i remember it yeah. just got like so much coverage and then yeah it came out to a third i heard they slightly improved the ps3 version of it so it was a little bit better um but right. not still not like to like the tune of a seven rather than like a four or a five or whatever um yeah so yeah that's a good that's a good one matthew um the game i mentioned by the way it was it was not a uh, longest journey home that was actually a uh, Long Journey Home, I was thinking of, is a game that Richard Cobbett worked on. The game I was talking about was Shortest Trip to Earth. That was the oh, okay. rough FTL-like <laughs> I, 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 uh, I was talking about. Um, any other examples, Matthew, that come to mind? Quick trip to the bargain bin. <laughs> <laughs> any other examples come to mind for you? Uh, no, I usually I usually get it get it pretty right. <laughs> yeah. I remember being quite cool on The Force Unleashed and I did a preview cover feature on that. I remember thinking, is it weird? you got cover feature. But yeah, you got to be honest about it. I played it and I thought... You know what? This game isn't quite as good as like God of War or something like that, or you know, excuse me, or uh, Jedi Academy things like that. So, um, yeah, generally speaking, I feel like I can call it, but yeah, sometimes the game really can put on a good show and then be hiding a load of a load of garbage behind it. It's uh, it can happen. Mm. Okay, uh, next up. Hey guys, did you have any misconceptions about games mags that you didn't realize until you're working there slash embarrassingly late? Whenever there was an editor comment like this, Ed in brackets, that's really hard to explain what I mean, but old people who've read <laughs> British games mags will get that. 
I always thought if it was some guy called Ed on staff who would annoyingly sign his name on any comment he made to feel important. <laughs> I also thought it was the same Ed in different mags, like some guy called Ed who worked at Future, just a free reign over all the mags. Love the pod, keep it up. That's from Jamie. Um, misconceptions, uh, Matthew. The Ed thing, like, obviously I, I, I got the joke. You know, I knew it was editor, and, and but I, I must have, I think it took, I didn't feel entirely comfortable adding them to my own stuff when I first started. Yeah. Because I thought, oh, they genuinely are ed- added by the editor. I think a lot of them are, but I think that there is also the art of the self-ed comment where yeah. you're like, oh, I've got a joke I can land here if I use a fake ed remark. But th- that's the thing. There are real ed remarks and fake ones. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever did one myself. Like, I, I just maybe I didn't feel like the... You're too straight shooting. Yeah, probably. That's probably out. I was probably taking it too seriously. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, well, I'm not the editor. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do one in brackets that says staff writer. (laughs) Uh, Misconceptions. I think I did think it would involve more playing of games than it actually did. That's probably the big one. Um, you, As a staff writer, you do play more games. As an editor, an editor-in-chief, you barely ever play games working... um, games media it's all about like making the machinery of the thing move forward commissioning and uh, editing and stuff like that the actual time just, as he swans off to new orleans to see Matthew <laughs> three. that one was for me i was uh, going through a tough time <laughs> <laughs> there was a yeah there is um there are some fun pictures of me on a sort of boat there with uh, jj from um games radar it definitely looks like are you smiling or are you sort of grimacing i was having a great time it was good oh, I was okay nice off apps i was eating fried chicken and i was drinking um cocktails that tasted like tango but were actually like incredibly lethal so i was having a great time i think i thought it'd be more fun than it was i suppose um uh, i think oh yeah that's it like the the tone of the mag where they would sell it as like this really fun vibrant team and you get there and people might be a bit surly or not talking to each other and stuff yeah. like, you know what i mean there's a bit of that i think that goes that, that's it. that's what i was gonna say it's more of a that a mag persona isn't who a person is, and that seems mad saying it out loud, like, obviously. But in my head, I had a really clear idea of, like, who Mark Green, Martin Kitt, Tim Weaver, Jez, Gerard... Like, I felt like I really knew them, and I knew aspects of them from magazines. But working with them, obviously people are, like... <laughs> they're a lot more, sort of, psychologically complex yeah. than they appear on the page. Yeah. Um, I think I was a bit shocked about a few bits of... There was a few bits of stuff where I assumed that because someone's like face was on it, like a particular joke or a thing, that they were behind it or endorsed it, which wasn't the case. Right. Like, I remember talking to Martin about Dr. Kitts in N64, being like, oh, it was so funny. I used to love your Dr. Kitts with those funny answers you used to write. And he was like, yeah, I don't really, really like that. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I didn't really do any of I wasn't really involved with that. So um, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Did you did you did you ever mention Dr. Kitts again after that, Matthew? No, I maybe a couple of times whatever. I mean maybe I'm misquoting it there, but like that was a bit of a that was like I remember that as an early wake up call of like, oh okay, maybe things aren't quite as they seem in magazine land. And actually when you've worked with Tim Weaver, you know, he's he's very good at, like, funnying up a magazine with that kind of stuff. Right. And a lot of it is, like, even working on the mag, you know, like, doing freelance for, like, Xbox World 360, you'd get a copy of that back and see that that, you know, all, sometimes, like, some of that layer had been added specifically by Tim. Right. Uh, of, like, here's this kind of weird stuff. So, like, yeah, who's responsible for what was a bit of a, a mystery and a kind of misconception I had. And, and this is sort of similar to just what you were saying about like 
you know you go there and you realize actually it is people working and and how much stuff is kind of scraped together magazines present themselves as like all-knowing and very confident but some of it is really like by the skin of your teeth and some of our previews were just cobbled together from like the weirdest sources of like you know japanese websites translated and google translate you know we'd really had to piece some of it together and you know maybe that was different in the older days where there was like a freer flow of like preview code and things like that but um yeah kind of how in the know you necessarily are isn't uh, you know you aren't always as in the know as, as people assume yeah there was other stuff to this too like um also not understanding just the disparity in access between different mags so yeah like the fact that you know uh when i joined play magazine we i did i did interview Hideo Kojima. i mentioned it on that interview episodes it got wrong and i had to run out after 15 minutes because the, there was like a it, everything was running late and we went had to leave for this flight then the flight was delayed so i could have had more time with kojima but i had to run out on him that sucked <laughs> i really hated that that was the only time we ever got facetime with kojima and of course dan dawkins came on here dan dawkins at a rival mag psm got to like go to that boot camp thing in konami's like secret headquarters and mm. spend days with kojima and all this stuff and you know edge would interview kojima when they did a metal gear solid 4 cover or so would opm and we just um you know obviously tim told the story of doing karaoke in front of uh kojima but theoretically i was on a mag that should have had comparable access to them because we were selling you know similarly to psm but that's not always the case some mags are just yeah. for whatever reason some mags get better access maybe it's down to relationships so maybe it's down to something else but um you realize that this stuff is like this just it's massively variable so when we did do a gta 4 cover feature we did have some legit world world of exclusive access but then there would be a metal gear solid 4 cover that didn't have any access and so that's what i think you're saying about how you know yeah it's much more cut thrown together because something falls through and stuff like that so just yeah. because a game makes it onto the cover it doesn't mean they've necessarily got the best things they can get on that game it, it might just be we had yeah. to do something this month you know but like i can't you know now i i can just like see through like any bit of magazine writing <laughs> and i i can tell exactly what they had yeah. based on like how you start the piece you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, you're already, like, if you're, if you're already kind of killing time, filling time at the start, you're like, okay, I know what the deal is here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, if you have the goods, you get to them fast these days. Yeah, that is, uh, that is very, very true. So, yeah, that's kind of what you, you sort of pick up on. Um, yeah, it sort of, it debunks it. it. At first, it's a bit, I don't know, maybe it's a wall you have to push through and then you can start to enjoy it a little bit. I, 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 I didn't enjoy working on play for the first couple of months. I almost quit <laughs> when I first started um, because there was no team atmosphere. No one spoke to each other. Uh, one of the writers there was like not into it and I just I was on a desk by myself at the end of the, the row and it, it just it was depressing and I was like 18 and I thought, this kind of sucks actually. But then you realise some of the other teams were having a lot more fun and then you move around and then you realise you do find a team where you've got more of that sort of spirit in common and then that starts to manifest in the mag. And it can take a bit of patience, but you do you do get there and understand the relationship between the people who make the thing and the end product and how you can sort of mm. bring that bring that out of it. Um, so yeah, that was a very rambly answer. Sorry about that, Matthew. Um, no, I liked it. Okay, cool. So next one. Do you want to read the next question? From the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> 
Large lads, do you believe there are more fundamental crisp flavours yet to be discovered? What was the last fundamental flavour to be added to the Pantheon? That's from Zach Forrest. <laughs> so, funny thing here, Matthew. I, I've written notes for every single one of these answers. I didn't leave any notes for that last answer, though. But for this one, I've written about three paragraphs. <laughs> so, Go on, then, give, me a, give me a crisp thought. I'm going to do it quickly because I don't need to be as much detail as I've written here. I don't need to be that granular. So... I'm very, very wary of new crisp flavours because mm-hmm. 95% of the time you open them and it's like someone's just farted in a bag. Like that's <laughs> undoubtedly the smell and the taste. Like just overly complicated, too much going on. Um, I think that we should avoid as a species any breakfast rated crisps. They don't work where it's like cooked breakfast and it's just like, like I say, fart in a bag. Um, I mm. think lamb and mint is the last frontier of um of Has that not been done? I think it has, but then like it gets taken off the shelves. Basically, it's like a temporary flavour. But that <laughs> lamb and mint is the last frontier. I think it is. I don't really know what else you can do with it. But otherwise, <laughs> I personally just want to see more variants and smoky bacon. So if you go to um, our local Sainsbury's, Matthew, they've got Piper's crisps there, chorizo flavour, and that is <laughs> like... like basically sort of the master sword version of smoky bacon. Like it's just like you know, is it is it noticeably different? Well, because it's so like, slightly fancy, Chris, they're absolutely caked in flavour. Just so much flavour. Um, and then, yeah, I don't, it's, a, it's a different version of smoky bacon. And just made me think that there must be a lot of latitude to smoky bacon that is unexplored. If someone s- started selling just the flavour without the crisp, <laughs> would you buy it and, like, take it? What, put it on my chips or something? Well, no, just, like, a little dab on your tongue every once in a while, like, snuff. No, no, that's very cursed. I'm just carrying around crisp flavour in some kind of pot. That's <laughs> yeah, just a little dab, and you've got like a hit of like chorizo. And like snuff, you can put it up your nose as well. And it's, <laughs> no, definitely not. I think that's that is a very cursed. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened at some point in Britain because this country is just a bit cursed generally. But no, I couldn't could be. Do- would you? Would you do that? Not like I will say. I, I like crisps. I'm not obsessed with them. Like you, I think you have deeper crisp thoughts than I do. Yeah. Um, based on that last bit, the only thing I noted down is I I wondered if you could have a crisp which maybe had the creaminess of like a cashew nut. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like nut flavored crisps. Is this because you're obsessed with cashew nuts at the moment? I uh, well, I am. <laughs> yeah. I'm. Mean, that is. This isn't a bit. I'm not doing this just to get us back to the cashew nut thing. Like I genuinely think it's a nice flavor and. I can't think of, uh, you know, I was just trying to think of other, because you can't just put any flavour on a crisp. <laughs> I, I, like... think you've, I, th- I think there are flavours which are, there are foods which are like crisp adjacent, which you are allowed to go into. Meats, for some <laughs> reason, feel crisp adjacent. And nuts being like another bar snack. I just wondered if there was something there. <laughs> There's a bit of, yeah, it's sort of like, I can imagine you coming up with your own line of snacks, which is nut-flavoured crisps and crisp-flavoured nuts. I can imagine you just selling those. <laughs> <laughs> There already are crisp flavoured nuts. If crisp flavours are like sweet chilli nuts, yeah. are they not the flavour of sweet chilli crisps? Are they not? <laughs> uh, Sorry. No. I d- didn't mean to go Oxford Union debate house on you. No, that's all right. It's, you know, tells me a lot about your uni days there. Um, no, that's that's good. I, the only other one I was going to note, Matthew, is that um, I do miss the old Walker's cheesy popcorn from the 90s. That's pretty good. I uh, 
used to quite like that. Um, it t- maybe tastes as slightly of sick, but just cheesy enough to to, to kind of win me over. A, but uh, yeah. a snack I love, which isn't a crisp, but kind of looks like a crisp. Right. Uh, were those like things that Cadbury's used to make that were like chocolate Pringles? Oh yeah, those were good. Those are really good. Are they like thins or they snaps were great. or something. What happened to oh, those? Oh, I mean. I used to, like, in my peak sad Lonely Boy days, 2008, 2009, I could buy several packets of those at a weekend and just demolish the hazelnut ones because they were, like, stud- studded with different flavours. <laughs> I think they were, like, mint and hazelnut ones. I could just eat packet after packet of hazelnut Pringles and I had the metabolism that that wouldn't, like, do any damage. It would kill me now. I, um, I do like the idea that... This is somehow suggesting that since you met Catherine, you've been living a healthy life nonstop. You know what I mean? Well, like well, <laughs> The version of the life I live now is so much healthier than my old life, to give you an indicator of... I mean, I was like a next-level hog <laughs> right, <laughs> when right. I was like, you know, 20, 22, 23. Okay, well, there you go. That's a, uh, that's a good, solemn note to end on, I think. Um, a sort of... Uh, I will see if I can uh, I can track down some kind of alternative to these thins because I do miss the uh, the texture of them. They were pretty good. Um, mm. Okay, next question. You've had guests on who are writing books. So if you were both given the opportunity, what would your book be about? That's from Daryl, who I believe is a was the um the, is the same Daryl who I used to work with on Tech Radar. Nice guy. Um, and who's written a Tomb Raider book. So Matthew, do you have an answer to this one? I mean, that, what specifically like a non-fiction game book? Uh, well, it doesn't say that. So. Like I like you know. What, what be told, if I if I had the motivation to write the book, I'd write uh, one of several murder mysteries that I've got in my head. But I am unfortunately a lazy shit and will <laughs> forever just daydream about what it would be like to be at the Bath Festival talking about my book. <laughs> yeah, uh, which I'm very bad for. If it was a game book, I, I again like on the murder mystery thing, I'd probably write a book about developers who've made murder mystery games. That would be the theme. So it'd be like big deep interview profile like deep dives into like Shitakumi, Kazutaka Kadaka behind Danganronpa, Kataro Ichikoshi behind Zero Escape and probably Rika Suzuki who was the writer at Sing on Hotel Dusk. Just like a like these people are like the masters of crime in the game space would be the kind of angle. Yeah that's uh that's good I like that that's a, a good solid theme very you. Um, if um, what's that thing Andy used to fund his book? Un- Unbound. 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 If Unbound are interested, there is a pitch for a book that will never reach one hundred percent. I don't know. With our <laughs> listeners, I think you probably you got a good shot. Of that. Uh, I don't know. You got a good shot of that, I reckon. But like, uh, it would need all of the people involved to agree to do it, including Shooter Kubi. That's a tough one. The interview access would be key to it. I, I wouldn't want to read a book of much just me wanking on. I bet. Uh, <laughs> I bet old Ian Dixon would get you uh, Shooter Kubi, Matthew. Just give him a shout. Maybe yes. Ian, if you're listening, <laughs> let me know. If you want to write, let's do a Ace Attorney book. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, like you, Matthew, I, I would like to write some kind of fiction. I've got actually a kind of slightly gamey book in mind for something. Um, that I'm, I'm sort of like kind of noodling away on a synopsis for at the moment, but mm. um, yeah, just because it feels like something that I'm actually, I don't know, I've actually got an idea of where it goes and and, and what happens. Whereas a lot of my problem with it as a writer is I can often picture the end, but not really the journey that well. So 
Uh, I always find that that that's the art of plotting. I don't really get so much, so I have to kind of learn. But um, I, I yeah. can the only bit I can picture is me being famous after the book comes out. <laughs> yeah. That's my problem. It's like I I literally daydream about people talking about me on Newsnight Review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean though. That's just that's it's hard. But it's, it's tough to find the energy when you've got you know full time job and stuff. I just why can't we just skip to the famous bit? <laughs> Um, so I thought I would actually really like to write a biography of Grant Morrison, the comic book writer, um, oh, where, I can, okay. where I can fire like loads of interview questions at them, maybe over like, I don't know, five to six occasions and then build a book out of that. Just because um, at the moment on their Substack, Morrison's like going through the time they went to Kathmandu and took a load of drugs and like ran up these stairs and stuff. And just all this kind of weird stuff they did in the 90s just after making loads of money from batman arkham asylum and just being like well i'll spend it all on doing loads of drugs and having fun um but then also wrote obviously you know seminal batman superman stories and doom patrol and seminal x-men run as well and i feel like i've got a pretty good all-round knowledge of morrison in my head and that i could do it well but admittedly not as well as morrison themselves so you know that's that's tough but yeah that's that'd be that'd be cool i'd love to do that um Mm. in terms of games i think something i've not seen done in games media that i think would be really cool is i would love to do a book where you interview devs every step of the way and making a blockbuster game over the course of like several years so the idea being that you would you check in and interview them once every week or every once every two weeks and then build up this living diary of the game's development and then like um join in on like a like key meetings and stuff about the game's direction and things like that and that complete story of a game i think would but would make a really good book if a narrative emerges out of it because games being made are genuinely interesting things do happen you know ups and downs and stuff like that but you only ever hear the kind of capsule version of them so the idea of something mm. that's more in real time could be could be quite good what do you think matthew mm. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I did. I, I had the very briefest of things of, a few years ago. I thought, oh, should I pitch something like that for like the new Fable? Mm. Because that's a series I love enough to to be kind of comfortable in the space. But also, I think the story about that game, you know, that that playground are you know known as a racing game studio. That transition from one to the other, I think, must be fascinating. And it's such a, like a British game series and a British success story. But again, like an idea that was in my head for 10 minutes and then I went and ate some <laughs> fucking curly whirlies instead. <laughs> Chocolate thins, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, like um, that's the other thing is that obviously the games industry is so secretive and everything's yeah. made up to nine. So, you know, you could probably you could do it with an indie dev probably quite easily. Um, in fact, one episode I want to do is um, have Jay come on here and talk about the complete making of Cassette Beasts when that game's oh, ready. Nice. Um, just because I think that'd be rad. And I've, you know, Jay first show be designs from it in like late 2019 and stuff so i kind of have some inside knowledge of how that, that how that came together and that stuff and i think joe would tell a great story so that'd be good you can get that on the indie game side but the blockbuster side is where you'd really want to see it i think in terms of like you know it's something that you hear about but don't necessarily understand but this stuff is nda for a reason people need to be able to like conceptualize things chuck them out they need to be able to be human they need to be able to have like ups and downs and i kind of get it you know not everything is meant for public view but that could be really really cool so that's that's the dream Mm. book i think um Mm. rather than writing something about fucking star wars games or whatever okay uh matthew do you want to read the next one if you had to write a based on a true story gaming related hbo (laughs) miniseries what event studio period would you choose that's from zach forrest again 
Yeah, so this was really easy for me. I think, like, the making of Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite, just back-to-back as two miniseries with, like, I don't know, someone notable playing Ken Levine. I think that could be absolutely rad. Um, uh, Steve Carell is Ken Levine. Oh, I quite like that. That's good. He's a bit it's too quite old. a physical match as well. He's a bit too old, I think, to play him. But he's, yeah, that mm. about 10 years ago, that would have been spot on, I think. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, that sort of comes to mind. The problem is, like, it's a lot of people sitting at computers. So the ups and downs, the drama, that is, that would make for good, like, dramatic fodder. But the actual, like, optics of it, quite tough to make i don't know to make this stuff look amazing what do you think yeah yeah i the only thing that jumped out in terms of like it's quite a weird and blockbusterish story and the stakes are like super high in terms of like commercial success was um the battle for tetris oh i was about to say that that's a great one yeah because you know like you literally end up with like robert maxwell is in the mix as well like pressuring mikhail gorbachev to give him the rights to tetris because it's a the game everyone wants and it belongs to the soviet union i mean it's kind of wild <laughs> didn't they give it back to the creator as well at a certain point like i mean, uh... it's, I mean it's, yeah it's 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 like a, a long and hugely complicated a lot of it's told in that uh, game over book the nintendo things at david chef i think yeah it's also there's also a graphic novel about it as well that's really good um oh. yeah like it's published by self-made hero i think it is just called the story of tetris something like that um but it's just it comes from such a weird place there are so many weird people involved and it ends up being like one of the like definitive titles of the 90s it's just that feels like you could have have fun with it um yeah that's a good one like otherwise I, I, more generally you know you could do a kind of a halt and catch fire type thing sort of set in this like i'd probably be more interested in something that's a fictional thing that is set in the real life times mm. something that goes through from like the birth you know the kind of the birth of commercial video games up to present day that maybe charts the kind of rise you know the rise and fall of a you know you start with like a bedroom coder and by the end they're they're something huge and important quite far from the kind of creative side of it i i, I like the way Hawk and catch fire kind of cast an eye over the kind of home PC market using kind of fictional characters. I think that that could be a fun way rather than like, you know, I struggle to think of one group of people who'd lasted the duration that they were like, their story would be so good told across the whole thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's tricky. Um, not... So Sega versus Nintendo. That's it's just a marketing battle. It's boring, right? Yeah. And it's mostly fought in America, right? As well. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it, it's tough. I think the Tetris one is good because, like you say, there's just so many ups and downs and strange elements to it. Like, I think, like, the rise and fall of Atari might be good um, mm. just because there was a lot of, like, hot tubs and, and drugs going down. As we... Oh, yeah, there's some fun party scenes in that show. Yeah, yeah. So I think... The killer licensed soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Pac-Man and pills. I don't know. Something like that. Um, but less, less corny. Um, wasn't there that terrible... BBC thing they did where it was Daniel Radcliffe as Dan Hauser and then Bill yeah Bill which Bill was it the one from Aliens who sadly departed Bill what kind of Paxton Bill Paxton playing um Jack whatever is the lawyer who just went on about GTA over and over again like the um like the edge uh, the the edge trademark person oh yeah I've, 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 it's shit. so good when you forget an asshole's name because yeah. you're like they have disappeared into irrelevance yeah fuck that shit I hate I ha- yeah I hated hearing about that shit over and over again um so yeah <laughs> but um I just remember the official Rockstar account 
tweeting at the BBC saying, "What is this rubbish? Was Basil Brush not available or something like that when it was um, when it was airing?" And I was thinking, yeah, this it was really corny. It was like an episode of. Um, you know that in-universe TV show in Arrested Development, Scandal Makers? That's what the right. rock star thing was like. Uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe was like, what if we did this and this and this? And it was all just really phony version of reality, you know? The thing is, even if they'd nailed it, Rockstar would have still called it shit and made fun of it. Like, this character, they just don't like being talked about. Yes, like that, I don't think. 100%. <laughs> but, you know, the, maybe the real story of the Hauser Brothers and, like, the, the creation of gta in 3d that might be a good story who knows so uh, if you haven't got a bit where someone shouts get me the bends <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm not interested <laughs> get me the bends yeah that's so good and then the, the, actually like maybe the bends lawsuit would be a good a good one like the kind of mm. crumbling of the of all that don't know what went, what went down there but uh nonetheless okay that was a, that was good good discussion um all right, lads, hope you're well. The boys over on the Computer Game Show podcast have recently asked listeners to send in any dreams they've had that involve the hosts. And whilst you've done no such thing, you did pop up in my dream last night, so I thought I'd share. There I was, running around a house, trying to fortify it against either a bear or a rhino attack. It was never quite clear, but the problem was none of the locks on the doors were working. I tried to lock the doors, but they could easily be pushed open and would have proved next to useless at stopping the immense weight of an apex predator trying to eat me. For some explicable reason... Both of you, as in Matthew and Samuel, were also trying to help secure the ha- this house. I had fallen asleep listening to the Xenoblade episode of the podcast from last week, and it was obviously bleeding through into my dream, because I was getting really frustrated that we were trying to protect ourselves from the bear or rhino attacks, and Matthew just kept telling me how good the music in the Xenoblade games were. Um, <laughs> anyway, I woke up before the bears or rhinos ever managed to eat us, so we were all winners in the end. Thanks, lad. Love the show, etc. Alex79. So no question there, Matthew, but... A um, nice little story. Would have been funny if it was like um, the bear or the rhino attacked and you were there, say, in one hand. In one hand, you had some 90s drugs. And then in the other hand, you had some ingredients from Xenoblade. And <laughs> neither were useful. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's good. Any thoughts there, Matthew? Nice to be dreamed of. I wonder what we look like in the dreams. That's what I'm curious about. Because you have limited access to what we look like now. So you don't know how grey I am, how overweight I am, all that stuff. <laughs> like it's... You know, how big my arse is. I wonder how many of these details were accurate in the dream, you know. But, uh, yeah. Do you want to read the next one? Hi, guys. Love the podcast and always look forward to Fridays to listen to it. Quick question. Harking back to the good old days of Gammony Magazine chat, if you could go back in time and work on any games magazine, which one would you choose? If you choose a multi-generation mag like Edge, which era would you choose? Perhaps it was my age at the time, but N64 magazine always holds a special place in my affections. It just seemed that mag had such a charming energy to it, bolstered by the fact that the N64 generation was such an exciting time to be a Nintendo fan. I still remember the epic two-edition magazine review they did for Ocarina of Time. Many thanks and keep up the good work. That's from Charles. So I think we've been asked this on before, Matthew, by people. Um, I think my last answer was PC Gamer in the late 90s. I think I said that I'd worry they wouldn't take me seriously. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, I do remember saying that. So... Um, I did admittedly get that same pang reading um, reading Piece of Gamer back for our quiz. I was just like, oh, actually, this seems seems like a really fun team. Just like Kieran Gillen writing all these quite fun previews and reviews. And, you know, just uh, I think like Matt Pierce was editor then. Matt Pierce listens to this podcast, in fact. So, I don't know, that seemed like there were just so many great talented writers on there. The copy was really sort of spot on. Um, and a lot of those people went on to go uh, do some quite um, cool things. So, you know, that might have been a good time. 
wouldn't mind to work on Edge. I'm curious to see what the inside of Edge would have been like during the early noughties period, just because that seemed like the such a such a strong sense of voice to that mag and the cover features and stuff. I don't think I would have been smart enough for it because I am a bit of a wally, but I would like to have seen <laughs> from the inside what that would be like to work on. You know, what about you? Definitely like N64 at the outset, like seeing the age of like Mario 64 and Ocarina come in like firsthand must have been incredibly exciting like they had that amazing working relationship with rare as well like n64 seemed to get way more rare stuff than official nintendo magazine did that would have been really cool just to have been sort of involved with that lot back then yeah the same that i mean that does that period the kind of like second half of the 90s just to see that coming of the sort of that proper 3d generation you know, whatever mag you're on. Actually, Edge back then is a little softer in its writing. Like, I think I could have quite comfortably have slotted in back then. I think it's it goes a bit more kind of snoop-de-doo <laughs> in the uh, early noughties. Um, <laughs> there are a few other mags. When I was on Endgamer, I would have liked to have been on just because I like, really like the people. Like, being on Edge 2006 to, like, 2010, you know, working with, like, Rich Stanton, Martin Davies... That would have just been fun because I really like those guys and they got to cover lots of stuff. Also, well, I guess that means I wouldn't... Would I be doubled in this office? <laughs> Am I also an Endgamer? <laughs> um, I basically want to go back to that period and work alongside myself because I was so fucking funny to work with. Uh, <laughs> I want to work on a different games. mag alongside Endgamer just so I can see myself <laughs> over the filing cabinets and be like, Haha, nice one. Yeah. This guy's so good. <laughs> you just look over and see yourself going, oh, I used to love Dr. Kitts of the magazine. And <laughs> mine just going, I hated that. But it'd be like Back to the Future. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd spend five years basically telling my past self not to like fuck up. So I'd be like, don't ask him about Dr. Kitts <laughs> on, on his first day at work. Um, yeah, there's an, you've, got, you've got an issue of OXM with you where you're fading from the photograph because you've changed the future. <laughs> um, yeah, very good. Um Okay, cool. Well, that's uh, that's that's good. I mean, I think as well. I actually, when I'm thinking about it, like the the last period of Edge, where I was kind of reading it and not working at Future, that I really enjoyed was 2008 to 2012 time. I read it like pretty much solidly, and I thought it was it was really really good around that time. Oh, um, there was like that issue where they did a feature on a really good feature on the making of PlayStation, where they had like a Phil uh, Harrison interview in there, and he talked about like how. He went to Namco's office to see Ridge Racer for the first time. And then as he was about to leave, he said, oh, someone said, oh, we're working on this other thing in this other room. Do you want to come have a look? And he went, sure. And that turned out to be what would be Tekken. And I like, that was a story I just vividly remember reading in Edge and thinking, uh, there is no other games mag that would get this access. Like, they just don't exist. So, um, yeah, yeah, really, really cool. Uh, So, yeah, that would have been good. Yeah. I think we've uh, been comprehensive there, Matthew. Um, Mm. So, uh, hi, S&M. I've been catching up on past episodes and two guests, two different guests have mentioned purchasing games consoles in the past with student loan money. Is this a common use of educational funds in the UK? Um, Matthew, I never went to university. Um, my, my brother did, and he blows. He definitely seemed to blow his cash on bullshit like Lego and stuff. But what about games consoles? <laughs> I love it. This is this, the, the weekly Samuel throws a family member under the bus segment. <laughs> Um. I should stop doing that, shouldn't I? Because it sounds like I don't have any respect for them, but I do. Um, so yeah, what's uh, do, what, do you think this is a common practice, Matthew? That first year, I only really remember playing 
loads of Mario Kart Double Dash on my GameCube, which I already had when I went to uni. So, like, we just basically played the few multiplayer games we had. I definitely bought Resident Evil 4 in my second year at university. But, again, there was a trade-in deal. We could trade in any four games and get it for 99p. So, technically, I only bought it for 99p. I rented games quite a bit from, like, Blockbuster. Mm was how I kind of got around it. Some people do. I mean, my student loan was like what I needed to kind of get by. So not really. I'm very boring and sensible in that way. What about the uh, when you were playing too much Call of Duty 2 and you made people fail there? What was that? Well, that was my, fr- that was, uh, that was my friend Cyrus who had the th- 360. Gotcha. Okay. And Call of Duty 2. Yeah, that wasn't mine. That was his. He, he bought that and yeah, I mean, those were good times. We played a lot of games, but we didn't spend a lot of money on games. Okay. All right, good. That's uh, tactically done. But yeah, it's true. There's a, I think we had a few guests who had been like, I was at uni in the early noughties and I just had to buy a PlayStation 2 and then play that instead of actually doing, uh, yeah, doing work. But they're also talking about like, the period they're talking, you know, like Simon was talking about you know, being in London and there's always import shops and like the import scenes are a lot more exciting. And there's always like now classics of the genres coming out. The period I was at university, 2003 to 2006, was actually sort of a little bit like, eh. it was fine. But like for a Nintendo guy, it wasn't particularly exciting. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. Also, these consoles weren't that expensive. They were like... You know, a PS PS two by two thousand one was two hundred quid. It's not that bad, really. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. I think we've taken that one as far as it can go, Matthew. But um... hi, Matthew and Samuel. Would you be able slash want to host a live event slash recording for the Backpage Podcast? I believe the London Podcast Festival has been mentioned, which would be a good venue slash event. Thanks for making these podcast episodes. I always enjoy listening. That's from Ivan F. So I would really like to do this. Um, the the question is where and when. Um, we want to make it good. So there's a question of how much do we charge people to get a good venue. Uh, you know, we we're aware we would have a Patreon where we have, you know, list of contributions. So we don't want people to feel like we're taking the piss with how much, you know, we're trying to rinse them, basically. We're, you know, quite conscious of that. Um, then it's a question of location. Do we do it in Bath? Because we're kind of synonymous with Bath, but then that's nowhere near the north for people who live in the north. So there's like a lot of questions there, but I would really like to, Matthew, because I think we have the audience for it to do like a hundred people in like one venue or something. What do you think? The other alternative is like a get in on a games expo or something where they have a lot of guests, panels and things and just get like a slot there. So someone's got to set it all up for you, you know? Yeah, like a, I could have seen us doing like a like an hour rest, old you know old rest. Yeah, it's tricky as well because an, an hour slot is quite hard because we're super indulged. When have we ever done an hour anything? <laughs> Just the James Bond episode. That's the only one under an hour, and it was <laughs> the one uh, everyone hates. Yeah, it's the hideous, because, hideous, it's, the because it's short, <laughs> not because of the content. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. It was because of fifty-two minutes instead of like. If you we talk for another hour about uh, from Russia with love, yeah, maybe 007 that would Nightfire. be one of our best ever. No, I would love to do it. I think. I think we could. I know, like um, the computer game show did the laser quest thing in Sheffield that their listeners seem to really dig, and I thought it was really rad that they did that their own event because you can do a panel at a sh- a, an expo, but then going to an expo can be an undertaking for people as well. So it's like it's just really hard to figure out what the right setup yeah. is. You know, um, I'm, not I'm a sure. bit. I'm a bit more like nervous in person though. Like I think the thing the computer game show have is they have in in um, Dave like a real showman, yeah, who can kind of like rally that stuff, yeah. Um, 
which I'm not saying neither of us can do that, but it, it, you know, it wouldn't be a, it would be a lot more self-critical. Yeah. <laughs> Side note, actually, just I was just ordered some toilet paper off of Amazon, and one of the brands on there was called Splash, and I could only hear that in Dave Turner's voice in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I would really like to. I think what I might do is I might put out like a like a, a Google poll where or like a form that people can fill in, and they can suggest like. Where do you live? Where would you travel to? What would be a reasonable cost for it? You know, what would you like it to have in it? I might do that so we can sort of... We can take it on tour for a week. <laughs> Five <laughs> yeah. locations yeah. all over. Yeah. Like a Pontins. Have we got a, li- we got a listener on a, a Scottish island? <laughs> I think we have quite a lot of Scottish listeners. That's the thing. But we, you know, going to Scotland's probably a no-go for us. So it's kind of like a question of how far I north like Scotland. No, I like Scotland too, but it's just more... What's... What is central in the UK? It doesn't really exist. People always pick London, but London is not central. London is just where the money is. And it's just, I don't know. I, I say five different locations in one 24-hour period. <laughs> yeah, like Blackpool, Western Super Bear. Yeah, those kind of locations. Yeah, so it's a yes, basically. I just, I don't know the exact form of it. But maybe that can be a 2023 thing, Matthew. We try and do that next year. Um, yeah. That might be a good, a good long-term goal while we... Uh, figure yeah. it out but yeah like some kind of a live show and then listener question segment might be good you know um live games court maybe you can bring a games court purchase with you i don't know you'd you'd probably want something a bit more gimmicky at one of these things yeah. um the only problem with live games court is the huge risk i mean that we have every time we do games court that it might land completely flat on its ass and like we can't edit out the bits which are just like a huge bust <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so yeah stay tuned like london podcast festival i'm sure sure it's a cool event but i don't know if if our people would be there you know what i mean like uh i don't want to do one of these things and then we have like three people in the audience because i know we can get more if we do it the right way you know like i have done panels like that at egx um like i've done like rps podcast recordings but there were more people doing the podcast than watching right i mean they had to be very brave to sit in front of four people talking at them about bullshit yeah yeah Um, for sure um like Bath might be fun to do, but it'd just be the right venue. It's just, it's tough because we're not big enough to fill the forum by any means. But like, oh, no. but also the top floor of the brew house might be too small, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of questions. We'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, thank you for the, the the question. Look out for look out for a form. I'll tweet out on Google. Uh, sorry, tweet out on uh, Google Forms so you can fill in. So let us know what you think, and we'll uh, shape it over time. Coming to the Apollo, London. <laughs> oh dear. Um, let's do it on the beach at Western Supermare, like Fatboy Slim in the noughties. Mid loudspeakers. Yeah. Um, okay, so next up. Hello, large lads. It's me, Blorco, the suggester of the least popular option of your <laughs> on your recent Patreon draft poll. For the uninitiated, uninitiated, that was asking the gents to form a Smash Bros-like mascot crossover game. This got me thinking, which franchise or company ugh, would you most like to see a crossover game from? And what would it be like genre-wise? Love the pod and had a great time with the draft that you ended up doing. That was the 90s PC games, gaming draft. Despite not being a PC gaming person and my own personal bitterness. The drafts really are hugely entertaining podcast story. That's from Balladeer. Well, lucky for you, we have the uh, follow-up PC gaming draft coming later this month. So that should be fun. But um, <laughs> yeah, the other ones in there, the other ones in that poll, I think the second most voted one was Game Boy games or Game Boy Color games, Matthew. And then the third one mm. was PlayStation One games. That was one I thought would, I would would win, um, but it didn't. Mm. And then yeah, Smash Bros crossover. Well, that was the least popular. So we might do it at some point, but it's um, didn't seem to go down that well. <laughs> um, the people have spoken. Indeed. So. 
I must admit, I am at capacity with crossover games. Stop MCUing things. That's how I feel. Like, that multiverses game, I'm sure it's perfectly fine. I also feel slightly ill seeing Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, Batman, Aria from Game of Thrones fighting. Like, I just... <laughs> the corporate crossover thing... It's Bane breaking Scooby-Doo's back. <laughs> <laughs> but Smash Bros. already was the best one. They, they did it. They did it. They got all the, you know, all the picks minus the Tekken bloke were great, you know? So we did it. I, I just, yeah, I don't get excited by the idea of crossovers anymore, I'm afraid. Maybe it's like an age thing, Matthew, but I'm not like, not jonesing to see any sort of, any more of these kinds of things. What do you think? I kind of got my dream crossover game when they did Leighton and Wright together. Mm. That was like a real, oh, imagine if they ever brought this stuff together. I mean, like the only thing I could think of for this was if you did like an Ace Attorney game, set in the wider Capcom universe. So, like, Phoenix Wright doing trials from, like, Resident Evil and, like, Devil May Cry and Street Fighter. That could be fun. I'd like to see Shutakumi have, like, more goofy fun with Phoenix Wright. Yeah. I mean, there was that big mash that, you know, got, like, Project Cross Zone, which was the Capcom Sega and Namco Bandai. It was basically, like, loads of legends from Capcom, some slightly shitty characters from Sega, and a huge load of, who the fuck is this from Namco Bandai? (laughs) Which... I think is fair. <laughs> I think that is slightly unfair on Sega. No, it's not. It's like, who's this? It's like, oh, this guy's... That's Rundier from Randier 5 or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm, with you, I'm with you on the Namco characters. That's a bit more... Who Who are these? Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's true that Capcom just seemed to have a stronger identity for that stuff. Um, yeah. I would still like to see a really good modern Marvel versus Capcom game. I mean, it is arguably Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3, which you can play on anything. That's still really yeah. good. But... They did that Infinite One that didn't have any X-Men in it, and it was just kind of disappointing. Um, We'd like to see a a new one of those. Silent Hill, the only way I can play Silent Hill now is inside Dead by Daylight. Like, Dead by Daylight is a good game, but, like, that's not... That's not the way, dog. (laughs) Let's let's do something else. (laughs) Like, I just... Yeah, I mean... It's all, that, it's all that thing of like, I just, I want Silent Hill to be available in a form that's not a guest appearance in someone else's game or NFT. That's that's my like very basic request. So yeah, the crossover thing I think has less value to me than it ever has. Um, and I think mm. the interest of people in doing crossovers that are meaningful and good, like the one you pitched there, Matthew, or indeed um, Professor Layton and Phoenix Wright, that appetite doesn't really exist anymore. So mm. it's more about a fucking ip pile on and i'm not interested you know come so. on phoenix right trying to work out who was responsible for the dino crisis <laughs> or like putting someone from like um umbrella hr on the stand or something like that like uh, <laughs> albert wesker and as well that could be good um yeah okay good hello to jc kitchen's number one patrons um i'm not sure this has been mentioned before on the pod but what are your thoughts on digital versus physical for me physical will always win the ability to sell it on or not lose it because the online service has gone down or being delisted trumps any benefit for buying it digitally most recently despite it not being not despite not being out till a month after its digital release i'll be picking up the physical version of turtle shredder's revenge uh, Turtles games and licensed ones for that matter have a habit of disappearing from live services uh, services so it will be nice uh, to rub it in people's faces when they hold a real copy in my hands after it inevitably disappears from the online store. I'm also going to be doing the same with Stray, the stealth game starring the cyberpunk cat lad despite it not getting a release on this till til September. So physical or digital, choose your winner, Adam. I like that this guy's like motivated partly by like vindictively... <laughs> lording it over other people (laughs) 
I was about to say, uh, oh, a, a, a fellow turtle head, I see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I do like the idea of spite being a motivator, which, you know, do you know what? I, I get where you're coming from. You've listened to the draft episodes. You totally get it. Um, so, yeah, I am um, physical, obviously. I, I love physical games. I am. Um, I actually briefly panicked because Nintendo just closes all of its online stores. I still think they'll close the Switch one somehow and I'll lose access to all the games I've bought on there and that's going to hurt so much and people will be so angry. If they do another store where you can't carry across the same games like to their next console, people will be so, so mad. Um, I hope they have the self-awareness to know that but I also don't trust that they will. So... I'm sure they listen to this podcast. And your <laughs> speech just then will convince them. <laughs> They're like, Miyamoto's in on Monday. He's like, listen, guys, uh, listen, listen. I heard something really interesting at the weekend and then has to fast forward through two hours of bullshit to get to it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, okay, yeah, not this bit where they use the word ponds eight times. Um, <laughs> Miyamoto's like, I don't endorse the use of that word by liking <laughs> yeah. this podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's definitely physical. I, I briefly panicked, Matthew, that. I own like uh, Xenoblade on there and the uh, Definitive Edition and Link's Awakening. I thought, should I have physical copies of those just in case one day they close this damn store down? Like, because I don't know, it could happen. It has happened. So physical, mm. physical when it comes to Nintendo just seems like a must. Like I've got mostly physical 3DS games and DS games, mm. of course, uh, are only physical. So that's it for me. I mean, it, it seems to mean less with consoles, but I still love the white labels on the PS5 games. So if like it feels nice to have in your hand, even though I miss yeah. I miss manuals as a thing. But um, well, that's that's what I was going to say. Like a couple of things. Like I'm I don't really want to have more shit in my house. Like I actually sort of resent a lot of the game physical games that we do have in our house because they take up space, never ever being touched or played. They just sit there gathering dust and so a little part of me is like ah eh, maybe i don't need physical because of that like i will say most of the games i have i throw away the cases and just keep the disc in a wallet oh right for space because i don't actually think the boxes and the, the cladding of physical games these days is particularly worth shouting about you know like there is no manual it doesn't feel like an event you've but you've but like, got so many physical dvds that you could get rid of and put... yeah but well i've started throwing them away oh have you okay oh, that's yeah, a, yeah but yeah i've been but i've been really crushing the collection down like we just took like six bags of dvd cases to the tip the other day wow like you've just caught me at a particular moment where i'm like i'm now sick of these boxes right is did nip tuck survive the cull matthew what about house oh no they're gone gone <laughs> I, and I kept the discs but i threw out the things oh okay right because you never know when i want to watch season three of nip tuck <laughs> <laughs> and like the other thing with the physical is like i did a little period where i had some physical stuff on ps5 and i was trading it in to like take the price off the next slot but now all the things I did are part of the subscription services. That's something else entirely. Like that's now I, it's not just a question of like physical or digital. It's like, do you even want to own it? You know, if it's this much, if it's this cheap to have these many games as Game Pass or whatever, then I like I'll almost risk not having that future access because a lot of things I don't replay. You know, I'm just sort of recalibrating my mind to be a person who doesn't really own anything and is fine. If we have anything physical, it is Nintendo games. I will agree with you on that. Like, the, the risk there's too high. But, like, Stray? I mean, if Stray vanishes, does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that thing of... I don't feel like physical... If I bought a physical copy, I can do anything about what will happen on PlayStation and Xbox. Because it does more than ever feel like you're buying the license to the game in a box these days. Um, so, yeah. it's a bit like... 
I don't know. It's a bit different with, with Nintendo because I feel like I'll always better put a Switch card into something and then it will work. And even if it, even if you can't patch it to the most recent version, it will still work. I can still play that game. Whereas, oh, oh yeah, 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 not convinced that's the case when I buy a PS5 game or an Xbox game. You know, I feel like I'm nice. just let's hope that Sony or Microsoft don't go under and so these games stay available. That's literally what it is, really, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah, clinging on for dear life. But then the other part of this also is like. You know, if you have a, you know, what you would call a proper games collection, which you have built and grown with intent, then I get that you're kind of slave to that now. And, you know, I'm not saying that's done. I mean, you know, that's fine. You know, people who've built, you know, they've got hundreds of Switch games or whatever, you know, I, I haven't really got a problem with that if it's the thing you collect. It's just not the thing I collect anymore. Yeah. You know, like I'm much more into my books now. The problem with a lot of books is they only exist in book form. There is no ebook version of them and they're vanished if you don't have the book. But then that's exactly the same case you just made for Nintendo. So what the fuck do I know? No, I mean, it's also a case of what do you actually like treasure? Because for me, mm. I've got... Do you know what? When I moved from Bath to Brighton uh, a few years ago, I got rid of so many graphic novels. And afterwards, I was quite sad about the amount I got rid of. Um, mm. The same thing happened when I went from Bournemouth to Bath. So what I've done now is I, I basically... I'm really selective with what I buy. I only buy quite fancy hardcovers of different comics. So I've got a really nice collection of really nice hardcovers, basically. Um, and my I vow... No matter what happens, even if I'm moving into a bed sit next in the middle of fucking nowhere because things have gone wrong, I will have these with me. I will not fucking lose these again because it sucks to like shed all your stuff just because you're a millennial who grew up when, you know, in a time where you couldn't just buy a house for fucking 10 grand with like 0%, sorry, 100% mortgage. You know what I mean? Like, right. So I, I can't. I'm at the point now where I would rather just get more boxes and fill them with stuff than give more stuff up because I feel like I've already done a lot of hoarding, then clearing, hoarding, then clearing. Now I'm like, I will slowly hoard, but not clear anymore. That's kind of where I'm at these days. Um, mm. Yeah, so uh, too much information really there, but uh, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to seeing your revamped uh, uh, flats, Matthew. I'm assuming that the uh, gunpla hasn't gone anywhere, the little plastic models. Yeah, the gunpla just sits there, so whenever I want to get a book out... <laughs> There's a there's a very high risk that I'm going to break an incredibly ornate robot man, <laughs> yeah. which is just like what a th- what a thrill. If, why don't all libraries use that system? <laughs> oh no, I've knocked fucking Squall's head off <laughs> because I wanted to, <laughs> you know, look at some fucking locked room thing. Right. Oh, it's a, it's not a quick gonna one. lie. They're not my favourite thing. Those statues. <laughs> Sorry, Catherine, if you're listening. Yeah, take it up. Take it up offline with Catherine uh, with your marriage counsellor, Matthew. <laughs> um, hello, Bath, two greatest giants. Can we get an update on Intermezzo? I forgot its new name. Have you been? And if so, do the sandwiches still have that special something? That's from Iron Eddie. I've not been, Matthew. How about you? I went on its opening day. I can't remember the name. I haven't been back, but that is not any judgment on them. Well, well. The first date was kind of pretty rough. I didn't know if the guy really knew what a baguette was. He, the way he talked about it, it was and handled the baguette. I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And I thought it would be unfair to judge him. So I'll come back in six months. But right now, I'm I'm not eating any bread, so uh, I've got no reason to go. But I will return at some point. It's got a funny name, like Gray and Miller or something. That sounds like somewhere you buy like a forty quid suit for a, your first staff writer interview. It really does. It, yeah, it, it <laughs> sounds more like a suit shop than a baguette shop. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to confuse those two things because <laughs> that would make for a very messy wedding. Oh, very good. 
when I walked past there, though, it did seem like it had quite a few people queuing. So I think they're doing all right. So hopefully people have just been able to continue their rituals. But I've just been... I don't know why reticent to, to, to resume. I don't know. I, I assume you can still order online. The reason I used to go to Intermezzo is you could just pre-book, pre-pay. Then, he, then Tony just handed me a sandwich and I'd leave. And it was great. Um, it was a standing around I couldn't I couldn't tolerate. So, uh, yes. Um, but I went to JC's Kitchen the other day, though, Matthew. That's um that's been consistently open all summer actually. It's uh mm. yeah, quite impressive. Well, there's been no rain, has there? No, no, it's just been fucking sun. So the guy making the chi- the chicken does look like sweaty as hell because he's in like a be- you know, the meat tent and also yeah. it's like 40 degrees British weather. So climate change and meat is going to like one day potentially kill that guy, but I hope I hope he'll be all right. But um the the guy I always feel really bad for is whichever s- sweaty boy is currently working in the hot sausage company <laughs> a stand in the middle of the high street because that is just a metal box which is so it's an oven and also you have to sit in a box sweating away with the words hot sausage company written like directly under your body so everyone's going to be like Haha, hot sausage company uh, that's what i think anyway yeah because it's always a quite a skinny dweeby studenty looking person the last person who would want to have the words hot sausage <laughs> Yeah, I, I just I, I've never been there because I resent that pun so much. Like it, th- it thinks it's funny, and I'm just like absolutely fucking no way. I'm going anywhere near that. Like that's that's how I feel about it. Just sort of like it's got big seventies like pub comedian. Uh, that's the thing. I I haven't got the like charisma to kind of pull off working in a place with like any kind of innuendo. For a title. <laughs> I just I would look uneasy in it, and everyone would know what's going on. Yeah, I don't think that's where your career is heading. You working in that uh, the sausage company um, <laughs> sort of stand, Matthew. But um, I will say, Jace's kitchen food still excellent. He's um they keep trying to charge me the old prices because obviously they jacked up their prices because it's you know cost of living crisis. Completely fair. But he keeps charging me the old price. I'm like, I'd rather you just took the full money and stayed open. Do you know what I mean? That's more important to me than having a discount because I've been here a long time. Every every place I go to in Bath now seems to recognise me, Matthew. I've just been here too fucking long. Um, okay, next up then. Dear Samuel and Matthew, Oh no! After a bout of undercooked barbecue-related illness, you've each been asked to fill in for video game bosses. Who could you most effectively fill in for? Also, what would your quote be when you were defeated by the main character? Love the pod from Games Chat to Games Court. That's from Conky Donker. Um, so there is like uh, a sort of a boss in Kingdom Hearts 2, which is um, you go into the Steamboat Willie level and like Pete is there. The, you know, Pete's the, the guy. Um, there's like, there are two Pete's in this game. There's like, Pete heart- the guy. There's like heartless Pete, like evil Pete. Right. And then there's old Pete, who seemed like a good dude, just hanging around with Mickey Mouse or whatever. And there's a bit where, as far as I know, all you do is, as Sora is, batter Pete while he runs away screaming. Like, that's all that really happens, quite haplessly. I think I could fill in for that guy pretty well. Um, him, and I'd have a go at being Fat Man in Metal Gear Solid 2, but I would probably fall <laughs> over in the rollerblades so they just get oh, shot Oh, I ahead. can't roller skate for shit. Yeah, but maybe that's the thing. If we can get rid of the blades and make them roller skates, I think I can at least, like, stand up. You know what I mean? So, um... That that kind of comes to mind. I don't want to be a boss who's like jumping around all over the place. Like you've got old school Super Mario Brothers Bowser who just stands on that bridge, <laughs> like shooting fireballs. Yeah, that seems like relatively low key. You just wait for him to like run under you and then drop you into some lava. Um, like any number of Ace Attorney bosses. You know, I don't want to give them away because they're spoilers for the end of the games. But you know, the people that you're trying to kind of defeat, I could sort of stand there and lie. 
<laughs> I think I have that ability. That's good. Um, there's a bloke who you fight in Final Fantasy VII who, at a certain point in the boss fight, runs away, then gets hit by a lorry in the background. I could be that guy as well. Like, just sort of like people where there's like threadbare competence and they're a bit cowardly. I could fill in for them, no problem, you know? I could definitely see myself getting like brutally quick timed event at the end of a Yakuza fight. <laughs> But as, as like an old geezer, like you fight everyone in my office and then you get to drop me through a desk. <laughs> <laughs> While I sit there going, oh, with my like, eyes bulging. Yeah, or I kill myself in a cutscene because I know it's fucked <laughs> up. You know what I mean? Like that. I've, yeah, I've got big kill myself in a cutscene energy. <laughs> Either with a gun or I cut open my belly with a, like a katana. And then, you know, yeah. <laughs> That's what would happen to me in a Yakuza cutscene. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, very good. Um, okay, so last one here, Matthew, from Growler17. Uh, sorry, Danny, man, your question was too long. We'll have to save it for another episode. Um, hello, gents, long-time listener, lurker, first-time questioner. As we're approaching the peak holiday season, we'd be interested to know which video game character you would most like to enjoy a, a relaxing break away with after a hard week of pulping defendants on Castle Island slash the peninsula formerly known as Samuel Roberts Peninsula. That's from Growler17. So, um... I th- I think like I think like D Dog from MGS Five. I just had a week off with D Dog. I think that'd be great for my mental oh. health. You know, They're just like hanging out with the dog. If I go to a beach or something, hang out. If I get like some some people see I'm a tourist and try and prey on me for my money, he could like jump up and knife them. That's the thing that D Dog does, isn't it? Um, he gets that little yeah, knife. He's have to collect his dog poo. Though. Oh yeah, he does shit everywhere, doesn't he? I mean, that's like one of the pleasures of going on holidays that you can put your pets in a cage somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> one of the pleasures amazing oh dear yeah your psycho cats get put away don't they Uh, it's an added bonus yeah for sure so yeah i was like i I didn't want to say like you know quiet or something like that i just you know i just there's a again a lot of trap answers here potentially girlfriend yeah exactly that's it or like you know i didn't want to say someone who was like oh wacky i don't i don't want to go on holiday with larry butts from ace attorney you know what i mean like that's not high on my agenda or Wario, he'd be very annoying. So, yeah, those kind of... Sp- so just taking a dog is fine, you know. Like, in my head, I'm just quickly going through things on a trip where I'm, like, at my most awkward and who would sort of, like, mitigate that the best. Because I'm big and have to squeeze into an airplane seat. You don't want it to be someone else big. Right. So they'd have to be small or skinny. Maybe, like, a Pikmin. <laughs> a single Pikmin. <laughs> A single Pikmin. That would probably count as a child seat on a plane as well. well so I could probably luggage. fill up the ro- I could fill up a row with Pikmin around me, so I'd have to sit next to anyone. <laughs> you could pop them in your hand luggage, just in the overhead compartment. Yeah, but I need to. I need someone who's like small enough to be a child ticket, but big enough to take up a seat, so that I don't have to sit next to anyone. Right. Okay. Yeah. I like how you're only thinking about the journey and not what you do when you get there. That's <laughs> <laughs> what happens to your one Pikmin when you get to like Barbados or something. I'll just let it go, and then when I come back to the airport, I blow my whistle when it returns to me, because <laughs> that's how it works. Oh, I love this. Like, Peep, I need you again. Um, you wouldn't, like, try and, like, lay siege to the foreign territory with your Pikmin, just controlling well, them. Well, no, because I've only got three of them, <laughs> so I've, I've, I haven't bought many. Oh, I'll tell you what, though, Pikmin, trying to bring, like, fresh produce into another country, that's a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> yeah! America, they'd be like... Uh, is that like a sentient root vegetable? Yeah. Like, uh, it, would you believe me if I told you it was my child? <laughs> have you got Have you got a green card for those Pikmin, mate? Like, uh, yeah. Um, Whoever it is who guards America would 
shoot them and their little ghosts would fly up. Yeah, that it all end very tragically. Then you wouldn't have one to take home with you. Like getting them in and out is is the tough thing. I think like hand luggage you could just about get away with it. But um, yeah. yeah, but I think that defeats the point. Um, the other thing I was thinking. Like, in terms of if you were sitting next to on the beach and could be, like, immediately helpful, like, Super Mario Sunshine Mario, but if his backpack was full of, like, Rio, <laughs> right. then I'd just be, like, spray some of that in my mouth. Are you not worried about the lack of precision on that thing? Like, it's not like... <laughs> I it, don't know. Well, I'm, I'm hoping he's... he's <laughs> this is a Mario who's got all, like, 120 stars. <laughs> so, like, he's really good with it by now. And I'm just, like, just jetpack some of that freaking Rio straight into my mouth. Like, hover above my head, shooting two streams of it straight into my gob. <laughs> also, did you ever consider, Matthew, that instead of, like, taking a Pikmin on a holiday, you could just, like, book two seats, and then those two seats would be yours? Like, you could just book a row, and that's, like, the same effect. You don't have to take a Pikmin with you, do you know what I mean? Like, did you think about that? Well, I don't want them to fill those seats. So I want there to right, be something right. in it. So if someone else is like, oh, can I sit there? I'd be like, no, there's a Pikmin in the seat, clearly. <laughs> so, um... and Yeah, and then the other row has got Mario in it. How would Mario get his like gun past the, uh, his water gun past American authorities too? They would think it's like... Oh, some it's kind of... of plastic looking, isn't it? It's like a water pistol. Yeah, but those, like, those um, people at the uh, power sport check-in are just like complete time wasters. They would find any way to like make you stand there for another 50 minutes and they'll do li- they'll do literally anything to make you stand there i'd say longer. it's say it's not a weapon it's for powering a stream of rio into my mouth yeah, on the beach <laughs> you can't you see it's full of rio you know what i mean like uh, <laughs> yeah that is good your answers are way better than mine um i might take um that uh the guy the posh british guy from final fantasy 15 on, hol- on a camping holiday and he can make me food matthew that might be good oh, i think nice. it'll all get I like that we just think of these characters as like slaves and what they do for me <laughs> rather than like i want to spend quality time with this person it's like you would be my staff <laughs> this is basically how the british empire got started wasn't it like it's just it's the same vibes really. um yeah that is true there's no there's no element of i think they'd be great company there's like that's not even come up. Who would be good company on on a holiday, a games holiday? Ooh. Tough, right? Like somebody you'd want to actually like spend time with, who'd like amuse you and not and make what the time better. Got, it's got, is there a bio? Who'd be the best Bioware companion to go on holiday? With? Oh, that's a great one. That's a great question. That's a whole podcast itself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, like, are we talking the real world? So, I if I take Rex with me, I might get a lot of questions. You know what I mean? Like, it's why would you take him with you? Well, I wouldn't. That's the thing. But I wouldn't. Oh, right, okay, yeah. I wouldn't wait. take Ashley because I'd be worried about her making remarks when we'd go go away, and it's like she could have written for nineteen nineties era games master. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. It's like she's just slagging off, like, you know, the citizens of the country we're in. It's like, what the fuck? What's your problem, Ashley? This is... We, we agreed to go on holiday here. Why are you upset? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... Yeah, I don't know. You don't want I, your holiday to end in a difficult moral quandary where you have to kill Ashley. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I don't want to say Miranda because we're trying to avoid horny content on this podcast. So I don't want to take Tally because I'd be worried about, like, knocking her helmet off and her dying or whatever. Um... That'd be a... She might get sand in her vents. That's it. Well, I always saw saw the Liara as a platonic friend in uh, Mass Effect, who's like legit cool and could do that thing where she you merge minds. I'd take Liara, Matthew. I'd take Liara. It's like not, mm. you know, maybe that's a slightly horny sounding answer, but it's not intended to be. Uh, how about you? Who's the sort of like quite plummy? I think he's a wizard in Dragon Age. <laughs> Why is this podcast so long? 
<laughs> this is meant to be our short one, and it's somehow two and a half hours long. What's Dorian's deal? Is it Anders? Are you thinking of in Dragon Age 2? Oh, in Inquisition, sorry. Yeah. Dorian. Is it is it Dorian? Uh, yes, I think it is, yeah. Is it the He's mis- like a decent, nice, just wizard chap. Yeah. Probably sure. be interesting. Like, know about stuff. So it'd be like, you know, if you go to Dubrovnik, he'd be able to tell you all kinds of <laughs> trivia about the old town. Dubrovnik. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's good. Um, I thought you were going to say, like, uh, yeah, I'm going to go on holiday with Zaid from Mass Effect 2. Um, <laughs> t- tough, ha- tough hang, I know. Zaid is, is definitely, like, in the headlines, caused a horrible bar fight. Yeah. At, well, like... <laughs> yeah, like in a sort of Mallorca or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's good. Uh, yeah, Dragon Age, that's an even... Like, Iron Ball's pretty cool, but again, too tall to really take on holiday. Like, you know, no seats big enough. And uh, who's the, like, lady wizard in it? <laughs> God, I sound like a grandpa saying that. Um, <laughs> Varric's a pretty cool dude, you know? Wouldn't mind going on holiday with him, I suppose. Some of the other ones, I don't know, there's um, uh, Vivienne. She seems all right, you know? Again, I think there'd be, like, a platonic friendship deal there more than anything. Wouldn't take Cassandra. I think Cassandra would hate the shit out of me. She would find me so irritating. She, she doesn't yeah. She doesn't suffer fools, so... Uh... That, that is the flip side to a lot of these, is I think this person would hate my guts. <laughs> yeah! Like, you know, like you could take someone who's like young and cool from Life is Strange, but they would just, you know, <laughs> that would be weird me taking a teenager on holiday. <laughs> I retract that. I retract that whole thought. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, Matthew and Chloe going on holiday is very, very cursed. You know, I, I just don't want to think about such a thing. Um, that seems like a good note to end the podcast on there, Matthew. Yeah. Um, don't know why it went on for so long, this mailbag, but I hope people enjoyed the quiz. And uh, thank you as ever for your questions. If you'd like to send us more questions, backpagegames at gmail.com is where you can email us. And um, there's a Discord uh, sort of like thread as well where you can drop in questions. We'll just collate those over time. And once a month, when we do our next What We've Been Playing episode, we'll um, uh, read a bunch more of these out. So, Matthew, where can people find you on social media? Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts. The podcast is Backpage Pod on Twitter. That is where you'll find a link to our Discord. You can also find our Patreon there, which is patreon.com slash backpagepod. If you want a two-hour-plus really funny Hitman re-ranking episode, you want to listen to that right now, go back <laughs> us at the XL tier on Patreon, £4.50 or your local currency equivalent. That is a good episode, Matthew, isn't it? That came out very well. Mm, yeah, it was silly, but also... Good hitman chat. Yeah, I would say the, the the section where we pitched, we each had to pitch another per the other person like um five different hitman levels for like a potential future game is I would say like has big games court energy, so people would definitely enjoy that. Mm. Um but yes, we'll be back next week with uh, a special magazine guest. Should be a good one, Matthew. So um goodbye. Mm. Goodbye.